0: discover planet of the apes a civilization where humans run wild in the jungles
1: and the superior beings are apes for final disposition. Do you realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Then a kind
2: of living death. <laughs>
3: Let me Pump see. a few bars. La, la. <laughs> I don't know. Does it, is it, does it still sound choppy, or am I doing okay here? No, you sound better. That's better. That's better. You're a little muffly, but I, I can deal with muffly. You know, there's, there's people who would give their uh, eye teeth to get me muffled. <laughs> so, we've been talking Planet of the Apes Month since I came onto this freaking network, Scott. Really? Yes. Has it been that long? <laughs> yes. Or, or maybe I've been on the network less time than I think. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember if it wasn't the very first episode I did with you, it would have been the second, third at most that you and I got into a big, long Planet of the Apes discussion. And we started talking then about, you know, when the new, movie, new movies and whatever. No, actually, I guess we hadn't seen Rise yet. Rise hadn't come out yet
4: loved that
3: how movie, long so. how long how long am i doing this <laughs> i gotta i gotta look now
4: it's been a good little while now
3: well i i could i can tell you because i know which episode was the first one i was on so i can check it on here i think
2: does it give the dates that were for originally posted paul has a big i love me wall it has like every show he's ever been on yeah well don't you don't you have don't. every epi- show I've ever been on? <laughs> Did you hear that I killed Half Hour Wasted? No. Yeah, listen to, to episode 383 because I emailed into them, and then they right after they read the email, they talked about Jamie D. passing away on Comic Geek Speak, and they said, eh, we're going to cut back, maybe go on a hiatus. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Jonathan wow. Crazy, he, he sent me a message on Facebook. Nice. you you killed <laughs> You killed Half Hour Wasted, Bill. Good job. According to this, my first episode was posted
3: on Wednesday, February 29th, 2012. So two and a half years. Wow. Has
4: it really been that long?
3: That's what it says. That's pretty wild. So we've been talking Planet of the Apes that long. About that, yeah. Pretty much. Like I said, if it wasn't that first episode, it was within a couple at most. Right. Yeah. Well, we only did... We did the one episode the first episode I did we just kinda of went into like a whole bullshit fest for like three hours. The second episode we did we each did an issue. And by the third episode Mike came back on and it was a three man show. I'm looking I'm looking at the posted episodes and that's how I could tell. Hmm. And that that didn't actually last that long, actually, that there were three of us before Bill became the third. <laughs>
2: Before I was Shanghai.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, you were Shanghai, and, and, well...
2: And then yeah. I was gone for a while, and then you invited me to be back, so...
3: I, I, Like I said, I started in February 2012. The first episode that you were on was August of
2: 2012. Oh. But that was probably right after Celebration. No? Yes? I think no, be maybe it was before Celebration. Celebration. Yeah, I
3: think you're right, yeah. I think I knew you huh. already by the time Celebration came around but mm. well, we've been talking apes a long long time it's about time we got to this it you're gonna bring it in not me oh yeah sure not me what do I care
4: oh <laughs> it's that was all kinds of wrong
3: <laughs> no I'll bring it in I don't care it's I like bringing it in I just like playing the not me game <laughs> Back to the Bins Hey everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins It is finally Planet of the Apes month We've been waiting for this, oh, let's see, two, three, four, forever, and it's time we finally <laughs> got here. I am joined today by my two simian friends, Scott Orangutan Gardner <laughs> and Bill Gorilla Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just don't don't be <laughs> flinging the feces, pal. <laughs> Ow, I think it hurt my chest. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> Uh, Finally, Planet of the Apes month is here
4: Oh my god, I never I never thought we were going to live to see it I'm I'm telling
3: you, it was getting to that point Hallelujah uh, (laughs) You know, as we've talked about Many, many times I love Planet of the Apes I love all five of the movies Even the lousy ones (laughs) What? I I love Rise of the Planet of the Apes The only Planet of the Apes thing that I would That I could swear off is the Tim Burton movie. Yep. Which is why we're not
4: covering it.
3: <laughs> now, I I, I I am not a big fan of the TV show, but I have no problem at all sitting and watching an episode here and there. I'm not a huge fan of the cartoon, but I have no problem at all sitting and watching an episode every now and again. And what is the big Star Trek tie-in with the TV show? Oh, Mark... Uh, what's that? Sarek. Mark... Uh, Leonard. 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 I don't remember yeah. his last name. Yeah, he was... Uh, What was his name on it it was Uh, urko yeah
2: urko i think so urko
3: (laughs) i believe it was urko
4: did i I eat that i think
3: you're right (laughs) but i i don't want to go too far off the comics right now because you are planning to do some sort of round table for two true freaks proper are not you
4: i'm hoping so i'm hoping so you know as you and i were discussing before we got going here um you know scheduling is everything but the uh the plan um well i i'll, I'll go ahead and run through it because uh, i'm i'm hoping that people are going to listen to both back to the bins and to true freaks cuz this is a, this is a crossover uh of sorts i mean apes month is encompassing both back to the bins and to true freaks and i think there's actually some other shows on the feed that are going to get in on the act too if i'm not mistaken but uh over on Two True Freaks proper, um, Chris Honeywell and I, uh, as a matter of fact, last night we just recorded the commentary to Beneath the Planet of the Apes. So essentially, here's here's how it runs down. Quite some time ago, and I, I wish I could quote the issue or the excuse me the episode number to you, but I have no idea. It's it's probably years ago at this point. Chris Honeywell and I actually did a commentary for the original 1968 Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that, so was, that, that was the
2: same time when uh, you guys put out the Disney vacation, like the probably,
4: six, pro- yeah, yeah, that's the, right. Because I think we yes. were actually watched it together. If I'm not mistaken, yes, you did. Yeah. So that that was a long time ago, but we felt like you know we covered it. We we did a commentary, so we covered it. So we are actually we're skipping that one. So because there we release our shows on Mondays. So be, because there are five Mondays in the month of June. We're gonna do five commentaries. So we, we're doing. We just recorded "Beneath the Planet of the Apes." We will be doing um, the rest of them in order. We're gonna do "Escape." We're gonna do conca- uh, "Conquest." Um, Paul, you and
3: uh, Andy Layland are doing "Battle," right? Yes, we are. Battle for is, is that a spoiler? Are you cool uh, it's a mild spoiler that? at best. I have no problem with it.
4: Okay. And uh, and then Chris and I will do a commentary for "Rise of the Planet of the Apes." Also, uh, on the docket, but not like officially scheduled anywhere or anything. We don't even know who, who's going to be in it at this point, but we would like to do a roundtable, just general apes, you know, shooting the shit, just anything apes. Um, that, that's hopefully going to materialize at some point. And then, of course, we want to do some form of review, again, probably a roundtable format for the new movie when that comes out as well over here on uh, on back to the bins you know we've got uh we've got four shows uh, or you know we've got four Saturdays cuz this show comes out on Saturday so we've got you know the one that we're going to do tonight we're going to look at uh the marvel comics stuff uh and then next week it will be uh adventure comics run of planet of the apes stuff as far as the minis and the series and things like that the week after There was a six-issue miniseries put out by a company that uh, was really, as far as I can tell, was just kind of a blip on the radar. It was called Mr. Comics. It was a Canadian company, and they put out a (laughs) six-issue miniseries that serves as kind of a bridge between Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, So we'll be reviewing that. And then the last uh, Saturday, we will cover the the Boom Studio stuff, the recent Boom Studio stuff, which... uh, for, for the most part, I really, really enjoyed. I thought that stuff was really good. Um, and then again, somewhere in there, I'd love to do a, a general discussion, too, if we could find the time to do it, if we could find the place to do it. That would be a lot of fun, too, because there's other stuff I'm hoping that we we find time to touch on, like, uh, you know, there was the Power Records stuff and mm-hmm. actually the very first Apes comic ever. Was the adaptation of Beneath the Planet of the Apes that Gold Key
3: did? Actually, first I, one. I beg to differ, my good friend. Oh, <laughs> I checked it on the source of all information that is correct, Wikipedia. Uh huh. And apparently, the first uh, comic book adat- adaptation of Planet of the Apes were Japanese comics. Well, yeah. There were two manga comics called Saru no Wakuse, (laughs) which (laughs) is Planet of the Monkeys. (laughs) And they were done in a manga style. And there were two. two, There was also uh, Saigo no Saru no Wakuse, which is Battle on the Planet of the Monkeys. (laughs) And they both came out before the gold key uh, one.
4: Hearing you speak Japanese is disturbing on all kinds of
3: levels. I just have to tell you, I just like I just like to end words with like "hi," hey! <laughs> <laughs> and a kick in the face, if at all possible. <laughs> yes,
2: Paul's putting his high karate on right now.
3: Oh uh, yeah, I'm, 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 it brings me back to nineteen seventy four.
2: So battle uh, of the battle of the what? Battle of the monkeys? Battle, battle of the battle planet of the, of planet Mon-
3: of the monkeys. Of the monkeys.
2: So what is it, a bunch of howler monkeys riding around on horseback flinging poop at each other? What are they doing?
3: I don't know. How do I know? It's in
2: Japanese.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I only speak Japanese. I don't understand it. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sorry that I interrupted you on your roll, Scott. No, not at all. I was
4: waiting for a good pause there, because the last thing I want to do is make more work for you. But I'm just noticing you guys. is, Is it me? You guys are sounding like super muffly to me at the moment. How, how do I sound to you guys? You sound fine to me.
2: And yeah, actually Paul Bill got, sounds fine to me. Paul got a tiny bit muffled, but he's back again. He's good. <laughs>
4: yeah, no, I'm not kidding. That's that's not far off from what it sounds like to me. It's I don't I wonder what's going on. Give me just a second. Let me see if anybody's using the Wi-Fi here. Because I don't think so, but let me check. Maybe it is on my end. But give me Maybe just a second. Is. I'll go find Maybe it out. is. What are you
3: blaming me for? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
4: Did you want to end the call and then recall it? No, no. I'm gonna
3: just put in the uh, the ape from Ipanema here. <laughs> the ape
1: from me. All right. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, it's so bad it's just not at all funny when I do
2: it <laughs> well you sounded quite monkey like okay I'll, I'll, I take, I'll take that as a compliment
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh.
4: well let's see you're doing issue one
3: yeah and I'm Paul, only doing the uh, terrible Bill, wh- Planet of the Apes story. I'm not doing the, uh, you know, any, any of the uh,
2: written articles or the... Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing... I'm doing issue 21, and I'm doing the last chapter of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. I'm not doing no. the, those freaky stories.
4: No, <laughs> are like, you're, you're doing, you're no.
2: doing the uh, Enemy mind
3: one, right, Scott? Right. Wh- which <laughs> like story did you story. say
4: you were doing out of there, Paul? Are you doing the... I'm doing the, the, the new story.
3: The new story, not
4: not the adaptation of the no. film okay
3: okay i I do like the uh i do like the story you're doing isn't it good yeah, it really is love that one, Well, we will get to it now uh do we sound a little better by the way you yeah it finally cleared up a bit, so hopefully did you have to clear your
4: bandwidth or no I told Scotty to get the hell off the computer I, I don't know if that if that's what it was or not, but hopefully it helped. I mean, you guys do sound a lot better now to me. So I'm getting better.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me.
4: So where we need to pick it back up again? So yeah, we, where well, we? We, <laughs> we you were talking about the manga, so I don't know if we wanted to.
3: Oh yeah, no, yeah, and I and I was ready to hand it back to you. You had talk You had said about how Marvel, uh, how beneath. By gold key was the first thing and i interrupted you with the manga and then i was about to hand it back to you and you said let's do something about the muffled so basically take it from where i hand it back to you okay and go da, so da, i mean da, da, yeah da, da. <laughs> <laughs> i
4: mean I, I saw that too uh I, you know I, I i will admit i had to use the wiki a little bit just to see what was out there for uh you know apes material apes comics and stuff because all i was really aware of was uh uh marvel adventure and uh and boom studios yeah i saw there was there was some other stuff in there but uh you know me i i i largely discount anything manga so i didn't really count that one in the mix but it'd be interesting to look at it though just to see you know what it looks like and how how faithful it is to you know the movies and stuff like that but uh i don't know if me, ever been
3: adapted to english
4: yeah see that's that's what i'm wondering you know what what's the level of of uh faithfulness to the you know to the original stories or what is it just name only because some of the stuff i mean some of the stuff as i'm sure we'll discover and we'll talk about here often feels like it's just the name you know planet of the apes but bears little resemblance but then there's other stuff that's you know at least starts off fairly faithful and everything. So it it really does run the gamut, these comics. So I'm 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 really looking forward to covering this stuff. You know, as you said, we've been talking about getting into this for quite a long time. So I'm glad that we're finally at this point to actually be able to talk about some of this stuff. Now what was your for both you guys, what was like your your entry level on uh say like Marvel Planet of the Apes? Like, were you buying this stuff off the stands, or did you just discover it later, or how did that work?
3: You know I'm old, right? I do. I bought this off the stands, brand new. The magazine that I'm doing tonight, I bought off the stands. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, it's no longer in my collection, which sucks. I was
4: going to ask you that, yeah.
3: Or the, or the original copy I bought is no longer in my collection. Do but, you still uh,
4: have a Planet of the Apes number one, though, an
3: actual paper issue? Yeah. Do you? Oh, you lucky bastard. But I don't know. I don't even remember where I got it. I know it's not my original now. Because I have a pretty decent
4: run of the the magazine now. For those that don't know, we probably need to give a little bit of history there. Uh, history here. There were there were two Marvel series. There was the black and white. It was an actual magazine. So if you've ever seen any of the old Marvel mags, like say, uh, what what did they have? Like Dracula Lives and
3: uh, I think it Grand Hulk. They, yeah, they well Rampaging Hulk was a little later. Mm-hmm. They had a uh like a Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, I think. Yeah. Uh there was a
4: Punisher one or a destroyer, something like that. For well, a I while. think I think the
3: Punisher one was part of uh I'm trying to remember what it was, Marvel Presents or Marvel Soup Marvel Damn, I'm not up Premiere preview, blank.
4: something like Marvel that. Marvel Preview,
3: I think that's what it was. And the Punisher was one a one issue uh You know, one issue run in that—that was basically a uh, an anthology series. It was almost like the Marvel Premiere or Marvel Spotlight version for magazines, and they even had. uh, My Alzheimer's is kicking in big time. Who's who's the uh, who was it? Gladiator. They had a Gladiator issue, of that series. Right, yeah, that's
4: the one that Hmm. uh, that Mike Bailey and I did on back to the on this program ages ago. That actually kicked off. Uh, or, you know, was kind of the genesis for us spinning off and doing uh, Tales of the JSA. Yeah. One of the, one of the
3: classics. This, this show was on yeah, before I came forbidden. on. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> but that one ran uh, the black and white magazine, at least uh, again, according to Wikipedia here. That one ran uh, from 1974 to 1977, 29 issues. See, this was really interesting to me to sit down and actually put this stuff in some sort of proper timeline. Because I had always imagined that the comics, you know, again, and, and until really sitting down and, and doing the homework on this, I was just kind of going by my own perceptions of it as a kid. So I always assumed that this this comic was coming out like concurrent with the movies as they came out, because as we'll see, as we'll discuss, I'm sure, you know, the, the frequently the backup feature, well, actually it, sh- it, it it would shift sometimes from issue to issue, sometimes the The first feature in the book would be part of a movie adaptation, you know, one of the five movies. And then other times it would be the backup feature and it would constantly shift back and forth as to which feature it was. But again, because it covered, uh, it serialized the, uh, the adaptations of the five movies, I just naturally assumed that it came out like concurrently with the movies as they were released. And clearly it did not. I mean, the the movies were well over and done with by the time the comic even kicked off. So that just seems really odd to me. So I'm trying. Do you know what year the TV show or TV shows, I guess I should say, were out because there was actually two of them. You're talking about the cartoon and the... uh...
3: The live action? Yeah,
4: there was the live action show and there was also a cartoon, and I'm wondering were either of those on the you know on the air and actually concurrent. Let me see, I'm looking here. This says the T V show was on in 74, so I guess it was the, the TV show was at least for a time, because the TV show was short, right? It only lasted like a season or something like that. Yeah, I'm pretty like sure that. it was just one season. Uh yeah, according to this it was only fourteen episodes. It was on from September to December nineteen seventy four, so not long at all. So, yeah, it was actually the TV show that would have been concurrent with at least the early issues of the comic, which probably explains the feel of the at least the the stories that kicked the series. out. like the story that you're going to cover, I think, to my mind and having not seen the TV show in a long, long time. Uh, I always had to feel like that story was probably supposed to be set in that era only because the, the, the humans could still talk and they were still intelligent and everything. So I always get a lot of, a, a lot of enjoyment with Planet of the Apes stories, this, You know, the comic stories, trying to figure out where in the Apes timeline is this supposed to be taking place.
3: The one I'm going to cover, as best as I could tell, it occurs sometime between the end of Battle for the Planet of the Apes but before the first Planet of the Apes movie. Right. So
4: you're still talking just shy of a 2,000-year gap, you know, a yeah, years always, Yeah, long, it's not,
3: not as short. Like, no, when battle ends, yeah, I guess battle probably ends in theory around the year 2000. At best, yeah, because Zira and
4: Cornelius are on Earth in about 1973,
3: I think. And, and then you jump forward. As an adult and has a teen child, so you might be able to get just right. a little past. You could go say even as far as 2010, but you certainly can't go much. Yeah, past that's that. true.
4: Yeah, now that you say, that, yeah, I guess that would work because you know, uh, a conquest is 20 years later when when uh, when Caesar is about 20, so that'd be 93, and then if he has a. Tw- uh, Say, what, what, how old is that kid? Do you say about 10 it. years old, about 2003 or so. So,
3: well, it, it's, it's difficult for me to judge the age of a uh, young chimpanzee, but <laughs> right.
4: I'm, I'm figuring anywhere
2: between <laughs> 10 and 14, somewhere in that okay. range.
4: So, yeah, well, sometimes I guess you're the, right then.
2: Doing the research for the story that I have, uh, because I've got the last adaptation of Conquest. And doing a little backstory for my synopsis, it says that it basically it was in in the future year of nineteen ninety one, was about right. when this took place. And then right. you
3: you also got a wonder did did uh, Caesar knock up Lisa right away or did they have you know some years without kids?
2: Right. it could only hope so.
4: <laughs> Maybe you guys can help me out on this. I wish I could remember who sent me the link. Oh, I feel terrible. I can't remember, but somebody sent me the link. To where you could go and find not only all the covers, but I think their actual clickable, like downloadable CBR links to the Marvel UK.
3: That was Andy Leland.
4: Was it Andy? I, I was yeah, thinking when, it was when we did
3: our uh, when we did our uh, Spider Man uh, episode <laughs> together. He gave us that link. I hope he's okay with me saying that on the air. <laughs> I think that I think that's actually a legit website. I, I think I don't, right. Yeah, that, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that one. <laughs>
4: But I was so impressed with that because, of course, you know, I, I, I know about and have been a, kind of obsessed about for quite a while the Marvel uh, uh, Star Wars UK and uh, have been actually actively working on that. And, uh, you know, damn Andy Leyland because now I might have to start on these UK Planet of the Apes. Because did you guys see that? Did
3: you look at that website? I, I didn't have time to look at it at length, but, yeah, I did uh, check it out. It's um, awesome. I don't have the link because I was I didn't make that show. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? If you weren't tardy, maybe you'd have the link. I would That's give fine. it to you, but I don't think, you know, uh, how have you earned it? you be a good boy, and maybe you'll get the link. Ooh, 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 ooh. Is this it? You know what?
4: Oh, here it is. Yeah, here it is. I favorited it, so I'll I'll, I'll put it in the uh, I already. It's already you know, there. Oh, is it? Oh, there you go. Look at you. But I'm I'm so impressed by these covers. I mean, they are really, and it's funny because they run the gamut too, because you got some that are like George Tuska, and then you've got like fully uh, rendered painted covers, and it's kind of all over the map. But what's really fun with these is you scroll way down toward the bottom when Apes was kind of playing out a little bit. And suddenly you've got Planet of the Apes and Dracula Lives, and then later on it's uh, The Incredible Hulk and The Planet of the Apes. I'm like, what a screwy mashup this stuff is. Yeah, but it's fun though. <laughs> These covers are wacky. You've got like the Hulk being attacked by this giant. I don't know. He looks like a like a almost like a maniacal Jolly Green Giant trying to chop him in half with an axe, and then the other half of it's like a gorilla shooting at a guy, and it's like. It's like the strangest issue of Marvel team-up you'd ever see or something. It's really some crazy stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have to sit and read these through because from what Andy was saying, they also took uh, the Kill Raven series and then adapted it to be part of Planet <laughs> of the Apes. Right. Wow. They, they redid some of the art to add in apes that he was fighting,
2: and I haven't checked it Ooh. out at all, but it sounds they, hilarious. Did they substitute the Badoon for the apes?
4: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They cha- wow. changed the Martians to apes. Mm. Yeah, which you know, Marvel did stuff like that. They did something similar in a couple issues of uh, of Star Wars. It was supposed to be a, a John Carter story, and they just redrew it into a Star Wars story. I, oh I yeah,
2: it was like fifty three, fifty four, or fifty yeah, five. Yeah,
3: Yeah, something like that. Apparently, oh, they didn't have great stuff. respect for their UK audience. That they figured, ah, oh, these these <laughs> people will buy anything. <laughs> Well, I, I still think, uh, one of the
4: major selling points, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing because I did not buy any of these off the stands, um, despite uh, a pretty decent collection of these that I have, I did buy them all as back issues, but I would imagine if I had had the opportunity to buy them off the stands, Uh, one of the selling points would definitely be the covers. I know as a back issue collector, the thing that caught my eye and made me want to get them was the covers. Some of these covers are absolutely gorgeous. Many of them are like poster quality painted art covers that are just beautiful. And then there's others that are, you want to buy them just because they're so damn strange. (laughs) Because one of the classics is the number four cover where it is literally like, a cross between Planet of the Apes and Davy Crockett. You're like, what the <laughs> hell am I looking at here? You've got apes dressed in buckskins with coonskin caps being attacked by rocket-propelled arrows. It's and and just,
3: as as freaky as that is, it wasn't a bad issue. It's not. No, it's it's not. It's it's silly. It's kind of
4: the it's kind of the Jackson story of of Planet of the Apes, if you know what I mean. But it's still a lot of fun. I, I I still got a kick out of it and I really enjoyed it. And I really liked these stories, uh, as we'll see in the story that I'm gonna cover, that uh they really played with the idea of this being you know a, a post-man a post-apocalyptic earth that radiation had changed not only man and ape but had affected everything so you got you know weird monsters and all kinds of stuff. i like stuff like that we never really got anything like that in the movies but i like that they ran that way in the series itself to where there were other mutant things out there and uh you know it's almost like classic like movie monster syndrome where the radiation had spawned you know giant monsters kind of thing i I love stuff like that so it's like the best of both worlds with some of this stuff but man the stories could be really wonky on this because i think it starts strong. i'm really glad that you're doing number one uh paul because i think it starts really strong but between the 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 stories getting increasingly not so much like bad or anything. They just get increasingly strange <laughs> over time as the stories get stranger coupled with the art gets loosey goosier and just really bizarre over time. It, it, it goes really in strange places because by the time it got to the last few issues of the series, I, I found it actually kind of hard to, to get into after a time. It, it was hard to plow through some of that later
3: stuff. As as I read through those issues, I found that uh it started off I, I started off very enthusiastic and then like you said, not that it got bad, but my interest just kind of like deteriorated as time went on. Right. It it just didn't it didn't keep up that enthusiasm level. And I don't know if it's just me or or if it was the stories themselves. I'm not sure.
4: I think it's the stories because I I had the same exact reaction. It's like it starts off really holding my interest, even when it's not so great. It still held my interest and I was really enjoying it. But by the end of it, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of ready for this to just be over with because it it's not that it's bad. As you say, it just it gets so kind of off. Off point, or you know, it, it doesn't quite feel like the apes. It's not the apes that I want, you know. It, it's not taking place in Ape City with recognizable characters and recognizable storylines. It's kind of really off in, in left field, really strange, trippy science fiction territory, and not the better kind either. So, yeah. That
3: that was my that was my feeling on it. But and I mean, I found to some extent. Obviously, we're, I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here. But even even with the Boom Studios ones that I loved, after a while, with the you know with the new stories that they were telling, I my interest did start to wane a little as it went on. But then when they went back to the miniseries and they started going to you know characters and storylines that we knew from the movies, my interest started to perk up again. Well, I if I if I
4: think that there's one common denominator in all three of the of the ones that had a run, because the you know, the third week again, you know, we're gonna be covering just a mini series, so that one doesn't really count. But if there's a common denominator, I think, between the Marvel series, the Adventure series, you know, the series proper, because Adventure did a ton of like one shots and minis. Um but if there's a you know a common thing between Marvel Adventure and the the Boom Studios uh, series proper as well, is that I think all three of them start really strong, and then they just kind of peter out. And I think the the common problem with all three is that they all three start with a really strong premise, and decent characters, and they've really got your interest, and they they kind of just hit the ground running. And then they quickly start to meander. It's like they, they weren't really sure what to do beyond the initial story that kicked all three of them off. And it's weird because it's been diminishing uh, uh, issue counts each time because the Marvel one ran uh, 29 issues, I think it was. The, the Adventure one ran, what, 24 or 27, something like that. And then Boom only lasted, I think it was 16 issues, and then like a special or two. So they've all, you know, I mean, they bet they, you know, the Marvel one lasted for years, but I, I don't think it had a regular monthly schedule either. So, I mean, they've all had decent runs, but you would think for a franchise that's still pretty strong, you know, 40 something years later, that they'd be able to maintain a a, a fairly regular book. But no, it's gone through, you know, we're going to see how many hands the the franchise has actually gone through with this. So it's weird. But I, I think part of the problem, too, is coming up with interesting protagonists for each of the series. Because depending on where you set it in the timeline, you know, if you set it close to the stuff, the recognizable stuff from the first movie with, you know, like Zira and Cornelius and Mm -hmm. Dr. Zaius and all that, then your, your human characters are all animals. Essentially. They're all primates, you know, that don't speak or anything. So who do you get? And if you keep bringing, you know, Taylor's people into that story, then it just gets sillier over time. Yeah. So I, I think that was the challenge that they had was where to set it. And, you know, who do you have for the
3: protagonists and what do you have them do? Yeah, whereas the the antagonists are very easy to come up with on a series like this.
4: Right. Yeah, well, it's basically all the, all the apes. See, or it's
3: the sometimes gorillas. Even,
4: yeah, or even sometimes pitting the,
3: the, the apes against each
4: other. Maybe having your protagonist be, you know, a chimp and the rest of the, you know, the, all the antagonists or, you know, as you say, the gorillas or something like that, but... I don't know. I mean they've they've made valiant efforts in it. And I think probably arguably I think the one that you you're gonna cover, the, the kickoff issue here, is probably the the strongest kickoff because it had interesting directions that it wanted to go. Some of them it did go in and then other ones it, it kind of failed to. But I like exploring the world of the apes. Whereas the Boom Studios one, as as much as I felt like it started off strong. It didn't really explore the world. They they pretty much kept to the locale that was established right out of the gate. And so they didn't have like the characters wander to, you know, Washington DC or something and see, you know, the ruined world. Where they did that a lot in the Marvel comics when they went to like Mount Rushmore and mm. I think they didn't they go to Washington DC? I forget. I know they went to some different places. I honestly you know, re- don't recognizable that. places, you know?
3: Yeah. I don't remember for certain. I love that shit.
4: You know, anytime you give me a a, a post apocalyptic movie that takes place in the future and at some point they're gonna wander past something recognizable that's all like overgrown or Half destroyed or half sunk in the ground or something. I'm all over that shit, you know. <laughs> and it, it was it's it's the Marvel one that did it. I don't recall either of the other series really doing that. They were more focused on, uh, you know, the the political more of the political stuff going on, like in in the Ape City or something like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of that. Uh, not to step on your commentary, that I guess will come out about five days before this one posts anyway uh but i i, I always liked them beneath the planet of the apes when they get into the subway system and you see the stations mm-hmm. that you recognize and things oh, like yeah. that so it's exactly along the lines of what you're talking about i think you'll enjoy the commentary that chris and i did
4: because that's where i was at my like geekiest like you know literally like jumping up and down going yes 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 because those are the moments i like in that movie i'm not the biggest fan of of beneath i think beneath has some serious issues with it but when it actually works, where the moment that I think that that movie is clicking on all cylinders and really going well is when Brent goes into the underground. I love that shit.
3: I think the the real problems in it are there's there were some pacing issues with it, uh, and uh, I don't I think you know that they already cut the budget. You had some you know really bad looking masks out there, uh, you know that bothered me a little bit. And then I'm always disturbed by the fact. That Roddy McDowell wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. That bothers me. You know, what's funny
4: is, uh, evidently, I blew Chris's mind. He did not realize, as I didn't either for the longest time, that that is not McDowell in Beneath. That it's actually, what's the guy's name? David Watson, I think, is his name. Something that, like that. That could well be. I'm but he's sure. doing a hell of a uh, of an impersonation of Roddy McDowell, I think. Anyway.
3: Yeah, but but once I became because I, originally I I didn't know either, but once I became aware of it, it it bothered me, and every time I see it, it bothers me a little. Right. Uh, David Watson, very good. Yeah. All all hail the bomb, to Yeah, bomb. I, I love that. <laughs> to me, that's that's like right out of Monty Python.
0: As far yeah, as it's, exactly. as far as the
3: satire goes, it's ridiculous. That reminds me of uh in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when they cut to the Catholic school and and they start praying, you know, they're praying as a class and they're like, "God, you are so big. I feel so small next to you." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that's their prayer. And, and
2: I, uh we we had a uh we had a uh, Batman 66 alumni in uh, Beneath the Planet Apes, if I remember correctly. Wasn't uh, King Tut in there? He was one of the mutants. Yes, was. Yes, that he was that really
4: him? Because it's I bueno. joked about that last night when we did the commentary. I joked. I said, hey, look, it's King Tut from Batman. Is it really him?
0: Yes, it is. Yes.
3: Absolutely. That's
4: hysterical. And he's credited
3: in the movie as playing Fat Man. Fat Man. <laughs> <laughs> so from Batman to Fat Man. Did you did you catch the name of the black
4: guy character?
3: Uh, I'm looking right now. It's wrong. It's so wrong. Well, if if it may go with the uh, the very white woman, is the black the black man his minister? No. Oh, un- no. <laughs> You're probably not
4: going to want to read it, is what I'm thinking. Not not there, I mean, but it's yeah, it's wrong. Mm. It's so wrong. What's funny is, uh, have you ever either of you guys read the book? Um, it's uh, what's the name of it? Conspiracy of the Planet of the
3: Apes. No, I haven't.
4: I'm reading that right now, and I'm hoping to have it done by the end of Apes Month so I can do a review of it. But uh, that is so good, and those characters are uh, in that book again as well because the story in that takes place concurrently with the first two movies so it's it's that's it's basically it's telling two two tales it's the tale of uh landon which was you know one of the three astronauts uh you know from the first movie what's happening to him while we are watching the movie with taylor and everything this is telling the story of landon but also it's giving you some background on dr milo who was uh Essentially, he's the the ape that they they kill him off in the very beginning of Escape. But he's the one that Zira and Cornelius um, credit with having salvaged the ship and been able to figure out how it worked and bring them to modern day Earth and, and escape. You know, in in the very beginning of that movie. And so you're kind of learning a little bit about him, like how did he ever? You know, because. As much as I love that movie, I truly love Escape. That's one of those moments in that movie where you have to just completely gloss over it without having the explanation because yeah, it doesn't really work. But the book is cool because it's kind of making it work,
3: and I think that's neat. Yeah, that's that is kind of cool. I'm looking at the uh the Wikipedia page, not the Wikipedia, the IMDb page is yeah, he, it says is he Ongaro? On, on is that him? Which car- that, no? Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! No! I, I well the Natalie Trundy, who. who's the very white blonde woman, is uh-huh. Albina. <laughs> <Up here>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I don't know, I don't know which one he is. I'm gonna, I'm just reading through the characters: is Brent Zira, Doctor Zaius, Nova Mendez, Fat Man Ursus Caspe, Albina, Minister Cornelius Ungaro skipper, mm-hmm. verger, Gorilla sergeant, Lucius, Taylor.
4: Taylor. <laughs> oh, I hate that moment. Here, it's the next one. To- yes, it is Angaro. But look okay. at what it says, credited as.
3: Where? I where? don't see where it says credited as. Are you
4: looking at the wiki page? No,
3: I'm on the IMTP no. page.
4: Oh, okay. All right. What is
3: it? What is-
4: I'm just gonna say it, and with apologies to uh, to the audience in the movie. And this is not me. This is in the movie. He is credited. His character's name is Negro. Oh, that's terrible. Literally, and yeah, exactly. That's horrible. <laughs> Negro and, and Albina, And really, in <laughs> the book they're still using the names from the movie. So every time they refer to him in the book, that's what they refer to him because that's the character's name. But I'm just like, um, come on. <laughs> Were we really that, like, un unenlightened in 19... 19- what year was that movie? 70?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
4: 70. That's just... Wow. I, I Every time I see that in the credits, I'm like, wow, really? Oh, by the way, the the narrator at the very end of the movie that gives the brief little, you know, somewhere in our solar system, blah, 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 planet just isn't that, died. Uh, that is. Isn't that... What's his name? Paul... Paul uh, Freeze, the all ghost freeze. host. Yep. Oh, yeah. There's hell is. Voice of uh, Boris Badenov and the Burger Meister Meisterburger. You don't get better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! We are all over the map. <laughs> no, we're not. We're all over the Planet of the Apes map. <laughs> we are. No, we are. We are. We are still on point. We're just kind of all
2: over. So, when uh, are we going to cover? The uh, blood, sweat, and tears on a Planet of the Apes. Oh, sorry. Is that one of the? Is that one of the TV movies? That's one of the no. most.
3: What, they, what That I well, I don't know if it's specifically that one.
2: I just made that uh, up. No,
3: but they what they they took the old TV show,
4: and made them in, and, 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 and made it and into two-hour movies.
3: movies, and there were titles like that. Like, right, yeah, yeah, that's like what that. I thought he was referring
4: to because there was one. It was something like, what is it like? like tyranny life, liberty and, some, life, yeah, like, liberty and, the, and pursuit on the, <laughs> the planet of the of apes happened. or
2: something. Yeah, it's he like angst on the planet of the apes.
4: No, they did. They had some wacky ass names
2: for, for those shows. Most part of depression on the Planet of the Apes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I wonder if it tells here. It might tell on the wiki page what they renamed them. Oh, here they are. Uh, oh, no, those are the... I don't know. I think yeah, we're yeah, going to have is much it. better names. Back to the Planet of the Apes forgotten city of the planet of the apes treachery and greed on the planet of the apes here it is life liberty and pursuit i was right life liberty (sighs) and pursuit on the planet of the apes of happiness farewell to the planet of the apes which sounds like it should be like so long
2: farewell
4: (laughs) the planet
2: of the apes (laughs) 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 goodbye
4: (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it, 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 ends, it ends with that song by, uh, by uh, what's his name there, Mr. Schnoz, where he's singing, uh, I'll be seeing you
0: <laughs> and in all the
4: old, old familiar, familiar monkey places. <laughs> places. <laughs> Good night, Dr. Zayas, wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're killing me, man.
3: Somebody get me a banana. Oh he, man! How is this? He, he his could, have name? A, Jimmy Jimmy
0: Jimmy could have been Jimmy Durante. Jimmy Durante. He could have been
3: a, been a good ape. He he without the makeup. But well, you, 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 if they had made him a uh, chimpanzee, he could have been right there next to Paul Williams.
4: He would have been a great ape. Oh, that would have been funny. Not to be
3: confused with great ape. Great ape. Great ape. Great <laughs> ape. Great ape. Beasley. <laughs> be oh my lord! Uh, I think uh, I think we we. Put a little commercial break in here. <laughs> Alright. Throw a commercial break in and then come back and hit some comics? I think that's the way to
0: go. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com And from there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life. At www.viewsfromalongbox.com. Wow,
2: so that's where my keys went.
3: <laughs> you know, I I I, uh, I hadn't gone to the dentist in like three years because my dentist retired. I and thought you said I'd gone to the bathroom. In three <laughs> years. And the, yeah, that's right. No, I, I go to I go to the, the bathroom every three minutes, but uh, <laughs> but I, I hadn't gone in like three years because my dentist retired, and then with everything that went on with me, you know, like like. Finding a new dentist was, you know, low on my priority list. So I, you do have
2: very nice teeth. Well, thank you.
3: But, uh, <laughs> but I finally found somebody, you know, somebody was recommended to me, highly recommended that I started to go to him. But because I hadn't gone in three years, he was like, you know, you got to come four times and we're going to do, you know, the, the intensive cleaning and get you back to where you should be. But when they do it, because it's so intense, it hurts like hell. So they've been giving me the laughing gas. <laughs> that shit is off the charts my they give me that. First of all, you know, you I get loopy in like a second with it, but your mind races and you're you're solving the like all the problems of the universe. While you're on it, you think, oh, this is what happens and this is it. You think you understand everything. And then they take you off of it and it's like, what the f was I thinking? It's <laughs> it really, right really there. trippy.
2: I understood it all and it's gone.
3: Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> give me more, man. <laughs> I understood <laughs> it all. <laughs> I just need a little bit more the gas, man.
2: I had a I had a deep cleaning once, and uh, I was in a chair for like three hours because they said, "Well, we can do it in quarters." I'm like, "I just do the whole mouth, one shot. Let's just do it."
3: Yeah, we're doing so, it.
2: So, so they kept shooting me up with the numbing stuff. I I got no gas, so they're like squirting the stuff in, squirting the stuff in, and on one of the times, they didn't they didn't suck it back out fast enough, so I swallowed it. And then I proceeded to freak out. <laughs> it was because an cu- orange, man. Because I couldn't feel my throat. <laughs> I couldn't feel myself breathing.
3: Oh, I knew
2: that's... logically. I knew. Okay, Bill, you know you're breathing because you're not dead. But I couldn't feel right. air. To be I- sure. <laughs> I couldn't feel the air going in and out. Uh, if I'm like, I gotta sit up. I gotta sit up. I gotta. <laughs> I had like a panic attack and I'm like, okay, yes, I'm breathing. All right. Okay. All right. Put me back in a chair. I'm going back in. Oh man. That was scary. I hadn't been to the dentist in so long. I went to spit. I'm like, there's no bowl. And she shoves this tube in my mouth and sucks the stuff out of my mouth. I'm like, what the hell is that? (laughs) She's like, spit, spit in the tube. Like, what do you mean spit in the tube? What are you talking about? Where's the bowl? When they I'm give confused. me the, when they give me the guess, I keep picturing like
3: on Seinfeld. If you ever saw the one, they you know he gets a dental procedure done and they put him out. And when they wake him up, the dentist and the dental hygienist are both like getting dressed again, as if they were <laughs> as if they were violating <laughs> him while he was sleeping. Yeah, I remember
4: that one. What is your issue number, Bill? Oh, I thought you said what is my what is issue?
2: your issue, man?
4: Yeah, what is your issue? What the hell is your problem, anyway? <laughs> You got all night. <laughs>
2: uh, twenty one. When I was young,
4: twenty oh. one.
2: Yeah, that's got oh, that's, that's
3: got that's the, that... uh, the the like the por- the ape porn cover.
4: Well, you know yeah, that
3: the... that cover.
4: Uh, what the hell's that artist's name? He he's the same artist that did that um, gladiator cover. Oh oh wow, the one that yeah. you were talking about earlier. Noram, I think, is his name. Something like that. Hell yeah, of a though. I've, I've got him listed in
2: my notes. Hold on. It's Norm Earl Norman er- Norm. Earl Norum,
4: yeah Norm Nor yeah. Norum. Norm. Norm Yeah
3: this guy is nice. he's fantastic Yeah but that's definitely like exploitation kind of
4: Oh yeah Well it it reminds me of uh of like uh do you ever, do you remember like the dinosaur attacks cards or like Mars attacks it's kind of that style of
3: exploitative you know, good girl art type of thing. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not saying exploitative in a bad way. I'm saying exploitative in the best of all possible ways. It's
4: exploitative in the sense that you're, show, you're practically showing me her tits. I'll probably pick up this
3: issue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ding, Ding, yep. ding, 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 ding,
4: ding. <laughs>
3: we have a winner. All right, so we're back. <laughs> and ready to hit some Planet of the Apes comics. And you know what's kind of interesting is that for our first comic episode for Planet of the Apes, we all picked uh, issues of the Planet of the Apes magazine as opposed to the comic book. Absolutely, you know,
4: I I feel bad because I tanted it in myself. I started to talk about that. Uh, I think I mentioned, you know, there, there were two Marvel series. So there was the black and white uh, magazine, which, as you say, we were all picking that, and then there was the uh, it was called Adventures on the Planet of the Apes, which was. Um, it was a Marvel comics. That was an actual comic. But that one, as far as I can tell, I do not have a complete series of that. It only ran, what did it run, 11 issues, I think? That sounds right. Let me see. I had it pulled up here. Yeah. started yeah. in 75, uh, and it ran uh, 11 issues. And that all that was was take the adaptations, the serialized adaptations out of the black and white magazine, shrink it down to regular comic size, color it and put it out. And that's what adventures was. And I didn't realize that for a long, long time. It really wasn't until about a year or so ago when I sat down um, and, uh, and read Planet of the Apes magazine start to finish it was the first time i'd ever done that before because i didn't i've never had a complete collection of it uh you know on paper but i i had found it you know through various sources uh to where i could read it on my ipad so i sat and i read it you know start to finish and that's where it really started to give me the insight on okay what what had this magazine been and i i never realized that marvel adapted or uh, you know, did an adaptation of all five of the films. I just had no idea that they had done that, and I think that was because I had grown up reading adventures because that was the the more for me it was the more accessible uh, book to find because it was an actual comic. But I had scattered issues of that, and that only ad- adapted I
3: think. I think it was the first two. The first two, and I'm not even sure it got all the way through. I think it did. I think one of the books was five issues and one of the book. Well, one of the movies was five issues and one of the oh, okay. other movies was six.
2: Yeah, so, I see, just opened I just opened up 11 and it was the le- it was the end of uh, the second movie.
3: Of Beneath. Okay.
2: Yep. Cuz see, when I was reading the
4: magazine, the, the thing that probably thrilled me the absolute most was finding out that there had been an adaptation of Escape which I had until I was reading the magazine you know doing a read through I had no idea that had ever been uh, adapted let alone by Marvel in the black and white magazine and so that was a thrill enough but then to discover it's a damn good adaptation I mean it's really good the art's good the story's good and it does that thing that that I loved about uh, about Marvel comics movie uh adaptations where it gave you extra stuff that the movie you know kind of like dvd extras it gave you extra scenes that you didn't get in the movie and sometimes they were slightly different than the film because they were going off like a shooting script or an earlier draft or something like that and all 5 of the adaptations have that uh that marvel feel to them with doing that and i really liked it so you would get little snippets uh, and little insights into like the characters or the films that you didn't get from uh, the actual movies themselves. And I remember uh, Escape being the one that I really latched onto. I really dug that one. I liked Escape, and I liked uh, uh, the two latter films because again, it kind of it it helped kind of flesh out the two latter films for me because I've never been the biggest fan of either con- Conquest or Battle. They never made a hell of a lot of sense to me as a kid. But reading the comics, uh, you know the adaptations actually kind of kind of salvaged conquest for me a little bit. It, it kind of gave me a greater appreciation for that one yeah
3: now, and I find it interesting that they went off like a shooting script for the comics because the comics were produced after all the movies were out already, uh, as opposed to like Star Wars, where they were producing the comic while the movie you know before the movie came out, so they yeah. didn't they didn 't have the Benefit of having seen the movie that was released when they were drawing it and and putting the script together,
4: right, right, yeah, you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, that's a good point. Well, they there was something they you know now, now that's just a guess, of course, that the, it was a shooting script that they were doing, but that seems uh, to be the most logical explanation because there are <clears throat> there are often. Um, you know, there are usually subtle differences between the the adaptation and the and the movie itself. But then other times there are uh, not so subtle variations that again they they feel, you know, judging by other adaptations that marvel had done of other movies where i know for a fact they were working on some earlier draft or something that's what they feel like like yeah, they were using a previous version or maybe even going by the the novelization or something which maybe the novelizations it. usually use although the, the novel
3: of planet of the apes is very different from the movie right oh, yeah and so so clearly they didn't do that they didn't go off the novel the original pierre boulet uh, novel uh, but, but you know, you, one thing to keep in mind, too, though, is if they decided, hey, let's make a change here to try and, uh, you know, flesh something out, I would think they would be given license to do that because I don't think that Planet of the Apes had the same overseeing that the Star Wars property did. You know, George Lucas right. was always incredibly protective of the property, whereas I would imagine that, you know, Rod Serling and the Boulay estate or whatever would probably be like, yeah, do whatever you want. You gave us some money, right? that that check is going to clear okay yeah just change it however you choose to
4: well wasn't the first film the only one that didn't have you know because the first film is an adaptation of sorts or it's more like based on loosely based on uh, pure blaze book but isn't the first movie the only one that doesn't have uh, a novelization I think all the other
3: uh, all the other four films have a novelization don't they I believe they do. I'm I'm almost positive they do. Uh, I would bet that there's even been a novelization of the movie Planet of the Apes because it is so different. I bet you, you know, I've never read it and I've never actually seen it, but I'm just guessing that there's one out there somewhere. If there is, I'd love to read it. You know, maybe, maybe somehow adapted from, you know, Rod Serling's screenplay.
4: I know I have at least a couple of them. The only one I can remember off the top of my head is I have Escape. I know for a fact I have that one but I think I might have either Beneath or Conquest as well. I've never read them and I need to because I'm very curious as to you know again how how much depth might they add, you know, how much you know more info might they add than what is just seen on the screen, you know, does it give you any sort of insight on the characters or extra scenes or anything like that. One of these days I'm going to have
2: to dig that out. The one for uh, Escape, dig it out and read it. Hey, before I forget, did you guys, I don't remember back in your original commentary of Planet of the Apes, did you ever touch on um, the, um, the video that's the studio pitch for the makeup test that they did for Planet of the Apes that has Edward G. Robinson as Dr. Zayas? Yes.
4: I'm wondering if we did that, too. I mean, it has literally been forever since I've listened to that, so I don't know, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I was just watching... um, There's a great documentary with uh, Roddy McDowell as the host of it called Behind the Planet of the Apes, Mm. and they show that footage in the documentary... And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I, I have the whole Blu-ray set, the the Blu-ray set of the Quintology, and I think that's included on there as a bonus feature, like the whole movie, you know, that mini movie mm-hmm. that they shot, the test that they shot. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it's it's, it's. James Heston.
2: Brolin plays. Uh... Yeah,
4: James Brolin, I know. It's <laughs> awesome, and. Because it's funny because I was watching uh the Blu-rays and the Blu-rays have these great documentary features. Each one of the Blu-rays has a documentary feature about the specific movie that's on the disc. Mm. And they're all hosted by James Brolin. And when I was first watching them, I'm thinking, Why why the hell is why James Brolin? And then it came back to me that, oh, that's right, because in that screen test he was Cornelius, which I, I just got a kick out of that. He Mm -hmm. actually looks like... If you ever watch it, he looks like Odo from... Yes, he does, uh, yes. From DS9. (laughs) It's funny. But, uh, yeah, that is very interesting because it's very different from the finished film, but at the same rate, you can... In the scenes that they show in the documentary, you can see a lot of the same beats going on because they're talking about the doll that Cornelius finds and all that. And so it's funny. You, You can actually you're you're getting like a, a a glimpse at like a prior script or something it's pretty neat cuz the, the the script for that movie went through like dozens and dozens of variations and rewrites and things to where they finally got to the the movie as we see it on the screen which i think is pretty cool but i feel like i am just dominating this episode and i do not want to do that cuz we've all uh, done our homework and we've all got great issues to cover here so
3: well, I, honest, guys honestly, I wanted you, I then. want I want you to dominate to some extent because I think you have a uh, a real good handle on these comics. Uh, as much as I think Bill and I have them down, I think you you are the one who's the most learned when it comes to them.
4: <laughs> well, we'll
3: we'll see about that. <laughs> but in the meanwhile, I'll jump right into mine because sure. I I have issue number one. So Imagine as that. best as I could tell, that's the first one. <laughs> So Planet of the Apes magazine, issue number one, came out in August of 1974, and it was $1, and it was a magazine-sized issue, and it has an awesome cover by Bob Larkin. I I believe it's a painted cover, and it shows uh, basically a chimpanzee in handcuffs being walked off by a gorilla, and behind him there's a crying woman chimpanzee, possibly uh, Zira, who's being consoled by uh, a, an orangutan, possibly Dr. Zaius, I don't know. There's two apes in the background holding rifles, and then there's one guy sticking his face at the reader saying, what the hell are you looking at? And looking quite threatening. <laughs> and it is an awesome cover. Mm-hmm. And the uh, cover cover uh, dialogue reads, where man once stood supreme, now rule the beasts. Planet of the Apes. And extra bonus, how to make a man ape. <laughs> Very so, carefully The, the story, uh, the first story which th- This book contains several uh, articles uh, It also starts the adaptation of the first Planet of the Apes movie But it has one original story in it And it's the first part of a story called Terror on the Planet of the Apes And the scri- script is by Doug Mensch uh, From an idea by Jerry Conway And the art is by Mike Plug. And before I get into my uh, synopsis, I'm going to actually comment, uh, which is normally a comment I'd save to the end, but I just don't want to in this case, is Mike Plug's art in this, in my opinion, is awesome. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's all done from his pencils. And he took advantage of the black and white magazine uh, in a way that you rarely see with the shading. And uh, it, it just sets a real mood here that I just think is incredibly well done. Uh, so maybe you might get an idea of where I'm going with my, uh, my rating on the, at the end of this one by the time we get to it. Uh, but it starts off with a prologue where we meet a chimpanzee named Alexander and his human friend named Jason, who for some reason wears a loincloth, even though humans have clothes in this particular area. Uh, they're going to an event at the village square and debating whether or not to go. And that brings us right to chapter one, the Lawgiver. It turns out that the Lawgiver is giving a speech in the village square, and that's what they're going to. He talks about peaceful coexistence of apes and humans, uh, but then immediately announces that he has to go on some type of secret mission, and that in his absence, he appoints his slow-witted brother, Xavier, to lead the uh, ape city. Alexander then goes home and finds that the gorillas have beaten his father and called him a traitor and a human lover. Alex leaves to warn Jason that the gorillas are on the warpath. At that point, we cut to Jason's home where Jason's parents hear a commotion and come outside. Unlike Jason, they're wearing regular clothes. They come outside and find the gorilla version of the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, the gorillas burn down their home and brutally kill them. Jason comes home to find the gorillas riding away and his house in flames and his parents remains. So, kind of a little graphic there without even showing, uh, I don't know if it's graphic so much in the, what they show you, but certainly in story-wise it is. Uh, He gives chase on foot, but can't keep up with the apes who are on horse. And that brings us to chapter two, Fugitives on the Planet of the Apes. Alex approaches the grieving Jason and uh, Jason says that he's basically seeking revenge, and Alexander reluctantly joins him. We cut to the camp for the gorillas, where the clan gorillas report back to their leader, who turns out to be Brutus, who's the lawgiver's appointed peace officer. You could see where this would create a problem in their society. Uh, A report comes in that Brutus's wife is approaching from one direction, and that our two young protagonists are coming from the other. Brutus orders that his wife be allowed to come in and that the two, uh, two teens, I guess, uh, be seized and brought in in chains. The two young fellas are uh, jumped and they put up a valiant fight, but they're overwhelmed by superior numbers. Brutus's wife, who's quite fetching, then comes in and confronts him, saying that he left papers in their home saying what he was doing, which is really stupid, and <laughs> where he was doing it. She says that he's wrong, he slaps her upside the head, and she very stupidly announced that she's going to expose him to the group, and the response, he takes a spear and kills her. Consider it the divorce. At this point, Brutus turns his attention to Jason and Alexander. He releases Alexander for reasons that also escape me. Brutus spits in Jason's face and accuses him of killing his wife. Jason resists, but gets a club to the back of his head. At that point, we cut to the tribunal-slash-trial before Xavier. Brutus presents his case and Jason tells his side. Xavier basically succumbs to pressure from a mob of rioting apes and finds Jason guilty. Jason's returned to his cell, but Alexander comes to him there and through the bars, gives him a knife and sets the jail on fire when the guards come to investigate, Jason breaks out, and as a mob is trying to give chase to them, Jason and Alexander decide that the only option for them is to travel into the forbidden zone where they'll be seeking out the lawgiver. And that's the end of the story for this particular issue. I thought, it's awesome. I think the artwork is incredibly Mm -hmm. good. Like I said, it's just the use of shading, the, the storytelling, the uh, facial expressions are just spot on. Some of them are, are even better. Some of them are better than spot on, but for the most part, I, I don't think there's a, a panel that I thought was bad in the entire issue. Uh, it, it really does a wonderful job of telling the story and setting a mood. Uh, the story is, is pretty engaging. It's bringing you new characters that you haven't had before and, and making you actually interested in following their exploits. And... uh I'm going to rate this one. I'm giving the artwork an A and I'm giving the story a B plus for an overall rating of an A minus. Oh, and the, and the cover I'm giving an A plus too, by the way.
4: Mm. Yeah. I love Larkin's, uh, Larkin's covers. He, he just, he always did this, uh, these painted covers and they always looked phenomenal. I remember, uh, Probably my favorite one of his. Well, he had a couple that were really good. He did the cover to uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, when Marvel did the adaptation of it. That was in Marvel, I don't know, Super Special or something like that. But he also did that uh, Marvel Treasury edition where Superman and Spider-Man teamed up the second time. Mm-hmm. So it's where like Spidey's swinging in on the, the right side of the panel, and Spider-Man's like, f- you know, landing on the left side, and you've got Doom and the Parasite in the background. That's a uh, ba- uh, Bob Larkin cover, and it's great.
3: That's that is another beautiful one.
4: Yeah, really good stuff. Really, is it really me really or, or
2: did the uh, the Ape Clan, the Ape Supremacists? Uh, did they look like they, they're wearing the hate monger's outfit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well that's that's why I went with the Ku Klux <laughs> Klan. I think that No, yeah, this is some this is some good art. I have not really been exposed to a lot of black and white art in, in my time and it's it's through actually being on Back to the Bins that I've actually you know, we did the man thing. Um Yes, the, the original uh, the first appearance of Man Thing. Right and and maybe and, you and did I,
3: the man thing. Don't speak for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first. It was uh, Bill's first appearance of a man thing.
2: I just walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> All right, fine. I'm not gonna say anything else. <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is, yeah. This is uh. Who did who did the man thing? One was it? Plue did that too uh
4: oh, he did some man thing i don't know it. yeah i'm not i'm
3: not sure, sure if he did that about. one he may well have done it but i'm not 100% sure but he he was i mean he was generally a horror type artist he did uh ghost rider he had a, a long run on that uh i'm pretty sure he did do man thing uh at least at some point uh i'm trying to think of what else he did uh he's he's like i said he's mostly known as a horror artist but I can't
2: off the top of my head give you any more things hmm. yeah this this is all all new stuff for me because I didn't get these uh, earlier when we were t- talking about uh, the origins I didn't really p- pipe up at, at that at that point because I had never I was never into the Apes comic back when the movies were out and even after because it wasn't until maybe the towards the um, the mid. The early '80s that I really started to collect. So by then, you know, these really weren't in the consciousness, you know. So i kind of missed out on this, and then a lot of black and white stuff back then because really, you know, it kicked off with Star Wars for me, and then and then went off into into other stuff. So yeah, this is all all new new territory, and 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 like and like we said earlier, some of these stories are really out there, just really yeah. out there with some yeah. elements but some do fit in nicely you know we have uh uh john houston as the uh, the log <laughs> hmm and uh yeah i would uh i would go i agree with uh with paul's consensus for the grade a minus
4: yeah i think i would too because i really like the the opening chapters of this What's strange is I wonder if there is an inker on this because all we get as far as credits is, you know, Doug men- uh, did the script and Mike, it just says Mike Plug art. So is there an inker or did, did Plug ink himself? And the reason I wonder that is I love the art in this first issue. My understanding you- is
3: that there is no inker and that this was done directly from his pencils. Oh, wow.
4: Because if you look at the next issue, if you look at uh, of the next chapter of this in the next issue, it says the same credits, but something's going on with the art. It's not as refined as it is here, because this is beautiful stuff. And the art takes a, a serious step down in the next issue, which was really a shame. Um, I can't remember... I, I think the story is pretty consistent, but yeah, the the art definitely steps down, and then the art does become um, inconsistent and a little wonky throughout the rest of the series. There's there's serious ups and downs, and of course uh, Plug is in and out of the book himself. He's there for I think it's like the first four issues, and then he drops in and out for a few, and then he comes back for a little decent run right in the middle, and then he's gone again. So it, it's that's kind of all over the place and that affects the the story too because this story with um Jason and Alexander for the bulk of the series this was the story that we were following because it it becomes a chase it becomes almost like a like a fugitive scenario because it's it's uh Jason on the run Alexander trying to be his chimp buddy and help him out but Jason becoming more and more resentful of of Alexander's help because Alexander is an ape and he begins to view all apes as his enemy kind of thing and at the same time being pursued from Brutus or by Brutus and trying to stay like one step ahead of him the entire time so as he's being pursued he wanders all over the forbidden zone and everything and encounters you know things like the, the uh, Mount Rushmore and He ends up crossing paths with this guy. I can't remember the name of him. It's like Junkman Joe or something like that. And this guy has like all these relics of the old world and stuff. So it goes all over the place. But interestingly, and it's not really till that story starts to peter out and other characters and other storylines are introduced that it gets really kind of wacky and it started to kind of lose me. But I I liked the Jason and uh, and Alexander storyline a lot. I thought it was very interesting.
3: Yeah, I, I thought they did a good job of introducing new characters into a backstory that you're familiar with mm-hmm. uh, and and making it compelling. That's hard to do. That's
4: hard to do because that's what all three of the major ape series in comics have tried to do with, with varying levels of success is give you a more or less familiar world but populate it with new characters. And that's a, that's a tough gig.
3: Yeah, especially, especially, I think, with licensed properties. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's one thing to take a, a, an existing comic series and start you know, spring, sprinkling in new characters, but it's another thing, I think, to take a licensed property and right, up, right from the get-go start off with new characters. Right. You know, I, I think that's a very difficult thing to do, and I think it's very well done in, in this issue.
4: Yeah, I will agree with you.
3: It it had to
4: be tough, because all three of those series, to the best that I can recall, all three of them never brought in recognizable characters from the movie. You know, like, Boom, of course, did their minis, where they would have, like, Dr. Seuss or something like, you know, a character like that. But I'm talking, like, the series proper, all three of them kind of went their own way with their own original characters. And maybe... Maybe that's kind of the reason why they didn't last over time. I mean you know of course, you know three years is a pretty decent run i I guess for the seventies, but I wonder if they might have had a greater level of success if they had given us the the character- you know at least some of the characters from the movie. but then again, you know if you're gonna set it in you know the actual Planet of the Apes, like the first movie timeline or something. Then who's who's your protagonists? Who are you going to focus on?
3: Ghostbusters. Uh-
2: <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the one-armed ape. <laughs> the ape fugitive. Did you see the um, the, the uh, editorial by Roy Thomas? The little drawing that was in there. The little art on page uh, four and five. No. Road to the Road to the Planet of the Apes. I, I know I saw it, but now I'm going to have to look back
3: to it again.
4: Oh, oh yeah, with, with, uh, with D- Hope and Bob Crosby. Hope and Dean
3: yeah. No, it's not Dean Martin. Dean Martin.
4: Dean Martin, whatever the hell his name is. Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby. Bob Hope. Yeah, whatever.
3: <laughs> I know. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> they're old, man. I don't know. They're, 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 <laughs> they're old men. I don't know. Paul <laughs> old, Only Paul knows them. Uh, he played golf That's, with them. Just to go to another Seinfeld reference, did you ever see when uh, – when John Favreau was on and he played a clown, he's in makeup the whole time. You'd never know it was John Favreau. But George starts talking to him and he starts talking about Bozo the Clown. And and, and John Favreau's like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. You're talking about some clown from the 60s, man. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I was thinking of t- talking about the one with the crazy guy that was the... Uh, oh, was uh, Pagliacci. Doing, uh, yeah.
3: Crazy Joe Davola.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to remember if
4: there, there was an adaptation or I guess you would just call it a reprinting. There was a reprinting of this that um, Adventure did when they had the license for Planet of the Apes. They actually reprinted uh, the Marvel some of the Marvel stuff and the, they titled the series Terror on the Planet of the Apes, which is the, cha- the name of this first chapter by Mensch. Uh, but I'm not sure how many chapters they reprinted. And I I want to say that they actually colorized it, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I have the first issue somewhere. Picked it up and was really excited when I picked it up because I got it really cheap for, I don't know, like a quarter or 50 cents or something, thinking it was like New Ape stuff. And then when I got it, I realized, oh, this is just a reprint of the Marvel stuff. So I don't think I ever bought any more of them. But now I kind of wish I had them because I'd just like to see... You know, Just how much did they reprint and, and what did it look like and that sort of I thing. I think, think they colorized th- it.
3: I do not think this would benefit from, from adding color. I, I, I think the, the, it would kill some of the mood that's created by the, yeah. uh, by the pencils. And, and I'm not somebody who's necessarily opposed to that as a general rule. I, I'm not you know, one of these purists who has a problem with uh, colorizing things, especially if you still have access to the original black and white material. Uh, but in this instance, I think it would lose some of its effect and some of its mm-hmm. impact. Yeah, uh, I- I'll agree with you. Jason's father. Who does he look like? I can't. I'm lost on him. I've been looking at him, and I'm saying he he looks to me like he's photo referenced from somebody, but I cannot figure out who.
4: Yeah. I'm looking at the picture of him at the bottom of the page where he's saying, wait, do you hear yeah, that's exactly and, the picture I'm looking at. Yeah, he does look like somebody, but I'm. It's almost mm. like an old grizzled uh,
3: Burt Reynolds or something. But I'm not. So, well, when this came out, Burt Reynolds was probably only around forty.
2: It's, it's not James Brolin aged up, is
3: it? <laughs> yeah, you got to mm-hmm. you got to think about it from like 1974 terms. Not, right.
2: Uh, not, not... Well, that well that well that wasn't. They, uh, what, uh, what's the one where they faked the moon landing, or they faked the Mars landing? Uh,
3: Capricorn. Uh, one? Capricorn
2: 1? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. with, o, with OJ. Wow, right. a second podcast that I've been on that has a reference to OJ. Yeah.
4: Damn, so, he does look familiar, though. I just can't place who I think he looks like. But, yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. He does look like somebody that might be photo-referenced. I don't know. Maybe it'll come to me in a dream. What else we got on this one?
3: Uh, Brutus's wife is kind of like the ape version of Edith Bunker. <laughs> she, she's, I mean, she's really kind ah, of
2: stupid. Oh, Brutus.
3: <laughs> she's really <laughs> kind of so stupid. It. She's a dingbat, and he throws a. Actually, I said throws he throws a knife spear. in her. He throws junk. a knife right, right into her chest.
2: Yeah, her name's Zena. Zena, Zena, not Zena. She's not the warrior princess. Oof. If By you far. look at
3: the
4: page where the very first panel on the page, I'm sorry, I think it's page 16, where Jason is going, they're dead, and then he ends up running away and everything. Does that not look like Michael Golden right Golden? yeah, Yes,
3: yeah, absolutely yeah. it does.
4: I never really thought of Golden being a, uh, you know, being influenced uh, or, you know, like... Um, <laughs> Aping uh, Mike Pluge, but man, it kind of looks like it based on this. I see a lot of uh, of golden in here, and clearly, you know, he came along after. So I, I wonder if Pluge was an influence on him. It's that it sure nice? is similar, but yeah. I mean, that's not a bad thing. I I, I like this.
3: I I, like I, this I stuff said that uh, some of the violence is left to the imagination, but I'm looking at the the pages when uh, Jason's parents get killed uh it's not really as much imagination as i 've thought uh the The dad takes an arrow right to the back, which is shown pretty clearly and then, as the wife comes over and is you know pleading with him not to die uh basically brutus takes or not brutus the uh ape who's following brutus 's orders takes basically like a baseball bat and brains her yep i mean that 's pretty brutal, yeah. Well, that was the whole, to, to my understanding anyway,
4: that was the whole intent of the Marvel black and white magazines was to to be able to deliver more adults content, you know, something a little more mature. This is kind of like Vertigo before Vertigo, essentially. Yeah. And, and I, I
3: like it for that because it holds up. They weren't subject to the comic code authority for the magazines.
4: Right. And I, I like it. I think that's one of the reasons this stuff holds up really well is that. This is, more, this is more like what comics became over time. But I also
3: the, think that's why when they adapted it to a color comic-sized issue, they took just the movie adaptations and did not do this story.
4: That's a good point. Yeah, that's an excellent point.
3: I don't think they would have gotten Comics Code Authority approval on this story without making some drastic changes.
4: That's, the, uh, that's very true, especially if they were going to colorize it because there's an awful lot of blood in these issues too. Which I don't think that they could have gotten away with in a in a color comic, you know. Arguably for for the kiddies still. Hmm. I do like it though. I really enjoy this. Even the the apes with their silly masks and everything, because they yeah you're right. They are very much the clan. It's a uh, clan of apes.
3: Yeah, and I think the masks are are kind of you know they're kind of the, the what they would look like. You know, they're very uh, you know they're just hoods. They're not really Anything unrealistic. As silly as they might look, they serve their purpose. Does Jason give you a Tarzan vibe? Yeah, well, that's why I said he's wearing a loincloth, apparently, for no real reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because his parents wear regular clothes. Well, I'm going to just put on my loincloth and go outside. I'll see you guys later. It's casual Friday or
2: something. It's
4: (laughs) it's what's in fashion. It's what all the kids are wearing these days. Loincloths.
2: He was cosplaying Taylor. <laughs> well, what do you think? We ready for the next one? I think we're ready
4: to, yeah.
3: to step into issue number five.
4: Number five, yep. All right, so Planet of the Apes number five. You know, I totally failed to uh, to see what the like the month or year or whatever was on that, but that's okay. Planet of the Apes number five. Again, cover on this one by uh bob larkin i really like this one you've got uh a human who's just all beat up looking he's all bandaged and really looking rough and he's being assisted by an ape by a chimp that looks like it could be cornelius i, I don't think it's supposed to be but it could be him and they're basically walking out of like the hot desert sun it's almost like they're on tattooing or something and they're approaching this uh Like this crevice in the rocks and hiding in wait for them is a bunch of gorillas who actually have, well, one of them has an M16 machine gun, which is pretty cool. And the other one has like a, I don't know, what is that? Like a Luger or something, but it's it's a really good Bob Larkin cover. I like this one a lot. Uh, Again, cover price on this one is uh, a whole dollar. And there are several... Uh, there's a couple of stories, there's uh, several articles and features and all kinds of things in this particular magazine. Oh, by the way, here it is right here. It's February 1975 is the uh, the date on this one. And I really just want to focus... Pardon me. On the uh, first story in here, which is an original story, because the other story that's in here is... I don't know if it's the very last chapter, but it's one of the last chapters of the adaptation of the first film. But I want to focus on the original story that's in here called Evolution's Nightmare. It was written by Doug Mensch with art by, of all people, Ed Hannigan and Jim Mooney. So the story goes like this. <clears throat> at, the dawn, uh, at dawn, rather in the Forbidden Zone, two massive opposing armies face off from opposite sides of a nuclear holocaust-scarred canyon. The order is given, the forces collide, and for six gore-filled pages, apes and men slaughter each other with reckless abandon. As quickly as it began, though, it is over, and death appears to be the only victor. But wait! then there's movement and life just barely for uh, it is a life which can, uh, what the hell did I write here (laughs) what the hell, that makes no sense whatsoever
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see, what did I write? just make it up, don't worry
2: what are you trying to go for the uh, what is it, the Dr. Bill and uh, was it it Jeff or Ron that does the synopsis like me that's Jeff
4: uh, no, is... no, I no, I will You're not. You to go for the Jeff on. and Bill Award? No, this will not be a multi-part, multi-episode synopsis. Uh, synopsis until Scott
3: and rules, we don't know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, let's see. For it is a life which can never leave the twisted tangle of bodies sprawling everywhere around it. Never leave on legs broken and burned, on legs useless and ruined. Across the scarlet field another death has been beaten by two and this life lurches on legs unimpaired perhaps even impossibly unscathed but his arms ah yes his arms hang limp so we hear a cry of you damn dirty ape and it's a cry from a human he says it's all your fault that my people lie here dead It was your war, the other says, and he's a gorilla," he replies, a human war, which created this forbidden zone. So accusations and invectives are exchanged, which inevitably lead to kicks and blows and then silence and a standoff. It's no use, says the man. I can't reach you without legs. You can't even hold a weapon without arms. Faced with no alternative but starvation, despite all logic, principles, and philosophies, a truce is struck. Alone, these bitter enemies are helpless and doomed to die. But together, the ape can support them both on legs that will carry them out of the valley of death, while the man, broken legs strapped to the ape's broad shoulders, can defend and hunt for them both with his strong arms. It's an uneasy truce at first, with the human tempted to draw his blade across his defenseless ally's throat. But what would that ultimately avail him? And so the two wander the withered and mutated terrain of the Forbidden Zone. And hours pass. Their hunt is successful. And by the light of their fire, they grudgingly learn each other's names. Well, Solomon the Ape says, watching Jovan the human slice off a piece of their kill and eat it, what about me? You you want me to feed you? Of course I don't want you to feed me. I don't even want your stinking hide near me. But you damn well better feed me if you hope to move one inch from this campsite at anything faster than an elbow crawl. And so Jovan feeds Solomon. The next morning they set out again, but don't make it far before being attacked by a massive mutant razorback looking juggernaut. However, through cooperation, they manage to slay the beast. Later still, they find themselves in a torrential downpour. The only available shelter is a cave high above them in a cliff face. Working together, they attempt to scale the rock, but when Solomon's footing fails, the only thing keeping them from a long drop is Jovan's grip. "'Now's your chance,' says Solomon. "'Are you going to shake me loose or try to save your your legs?' But Jovan does not cut the ape loose, though. Instead, uh, he makes Solomon work with him to save them both. Once safe, Jovan jokes, You're going to owe me some thanks for this. uh, Solomon replies, Humans are incapable of earning gratitude. When this is over, I shall reward you with death. Remember that. In the cave, they meet Mordecai, a strange hermit, neither ape nor human, who shelters, attends, and tries to teach them while they mend. Soon they are healed, but Mordecai's words have failed to change their hearts. They are still intent on killing one another, but the old hermit does manage to persuade them to hold their contest his way. He binds them to one another by tethering their wrists to each other, And then using only their fists the battle is on and the fight is brutal it's vicious it's grueling and in the end it's utterly pointless both combatants fall exhausted and there is no clear victor at all mordecai disgusted by the spectacle uh, spectacle commands them to pick each other up and as repayment for his aid orders them to go to the ancient city A place consumed by fire and great explosions, and look upon it. Together, Jovan and Solomon do as Mordecai requests and travel back into the Forbidden Zone and to the ancient city where they find only bleak desolation and destruction in what was once, long ago, San Francisco. Jovan and Solomon finally understand what Mordecai was trying to teach them. Violence begets violence, hatred and war will advance neither species, ape or men. Only death will prosper. It must end somewhere. And so with an outstretched hand, Solomon proposes, I suggest it begins right here. Jovan accepts Solomon's offer and clasps his hand, just as a rock strikes the gorilla in the head and he goes down. It's mutants, both human and ape mutants. All around them, Jovan realizes before he himself is struck down by rocks. Once again, they're in the middle of a confrontation between opposing armies of apes and men. The circle closes. The war begins anew. But this time, over the bodies of a man and an ape who were friends. And that's Evolution's Nightmare. What did you guys think of this one?
3: I loved it. I think this is a great story. I, th- I mean, it's it's the tried and true enemy mind storyline that, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. has become almost cliched over the years. But uh, I, I, I mean, there's some twists to it that I think make it not fall into that cliche category. And uh, I, I really enjoy the story. The artwork on a whole, I like a lot. There's a few panels here and there that I'm not crazy about.
2: Yeah, did the artist change at some point? It, there's a, like from like from the start to the end, like the last two or three panels, it just really I don't know. It just seems to like when um what was it, Jovan gets hit in the head with a rock. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it, it, it's yeah.
3: Well, all of a sudden, it almost looks like it's uh li- like in too bright of a sunlight, like it's being washed away a little
2: bit. Yeah, but it the. The way they had looked before, now they, they now look totally different. But I mean, that's that's really minor quibble on that. Well, the, that's the mutant cool. that's yelling "kill" looks like he could be on a Simpsons cartoon.
4: Yeah. No, I will agree with you. Something something a little wonky happened there, and I I suspect that one or two things is happening. Either they had to rush to get it finished, or maybe there was some something some sort of behind the scenes something or other where they had to maybe change up their ending to the story or something
2: yeah, yeah because it's almost like when they leave Mordecai the rest of the it's like the art changes for me it just looks yeah. So different yeah, before, yeah before that part I like the art once they leave him it
3: it, 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 lose, it loses the uh, the black and white appeal it almost looks like it should have color from that point and doesn't if you look at that last page, uh, page 28, with
4: Mordecai, tear in his eye, and they're, they're kind of wandering off from... He's ordering them to go away, essentially, leave my presence. He's disgusted by them and sends them to the, the, the city. But if you look at that page and the way that last panel is framed, it almost looks like it should be the last panel of the story.
2: Like like that box Mm.
4: underneath would say something like, you know, next issue, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, it's, yeah, it's it's almost like that was the end of it and this was tacked on.
4: That's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, that That, that could well be. Yeah, these last five pages, I think.
2: Like maybe they didn't have enough to fill out the issue, so they're like, all right, let's, uh, we got to add something in here.
4: Uh, either that, or maybe somebody just, you know, an editorial or something just said, you know, it, it's it's too pat an ending, or it's an unsatisfying ending. End it, or, or Kill maybe them. they, yeah, <laughs> something. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm thinking is that they said, no, we we can't we can't have these guys go off and be ape buddies at the end. They got to die or something. I'm not sure. I like the ending, but it's funny that uh, that we're discovering this. Because, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I poured over this story, obviously, to do the synopsis on and it. And it never even occurred to me how tacked on these last few pages look to this. This is not how I remember the story to end when I was a kid. As a, as a kid, I remember that they actually did stay friends at the end of the story and kind of, you know, rode off into the sunset. So that's really strange. Rereading it, discovering that, no, no, they clearly they're dead at the end of the story, which I thought was really sad. I like this one a lot. I like it uh on several levels because for one thing even though it has become a cliche you know you you, you uh cited enemy mine which is very much what the story is hell it might have even been cliched by the time this story came out in 75 but this was my first exposure to this cliched storyline of the you know the two enemy combatants having to make a truce and eventually becoming mm-hmm. friends I'd mm-hmm. never read that kind of a story before. So this had a profound impact on me. Um, I didn't have very many issues of the the Apes magazine. This was one of the few I had. Couldn't tell you when I first read it, but I know I was a little shaver when I first read it. And it stuck with me all these years. I really, really liked this story. Uh, one of the things that definitely helps is page 20, where they're just wandering through in that giant Freaky looking mutant monster comes out that scene, just the way it's drawn and and it's coming out of the jungle and everything for some reason, every time I see that reminds me of when the, uh, the explorers are attacked by whatever it is, a triceratops or whatever in the original King Kong. It Mm -hmm. always reminds me of that sequence for some reason, but The, the, uh,
3: the
2: beast almost looks Lovecraftian to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's it looks like a like a razorback pig, but its tusks are on the top of its head, yeah. along with its mouth, and its eyes are below its its teeth line. Yeah, and, it, and it's got ears way up on the back of its you know like way back further than where they should be. It's, it's really, really
4: cool. yeah. I think he's cool looking. There was mutant bunnies on page uh, eighteen too, <laughs> yeah. which I thought were cool. They're essentially they're. You know what they actually look like? They look like a cross like, between a jackrabbit and a hoojib. Yeah, pliff, They ate pliff.
3: But I, I do like this story. I've I've always had a real soft spot for this one. Is it me or does Mordecai look like Charlton Heston?
4: Mordecai. He does actually. Now that you say that, I. I was very confused by the whole thing with Mordecai because uh you know, one minute he's preaching nonviolence and then the next minute he's got them beating each other to the death, doing exactly what he asked them to do, and then when it's over, the fight's all over, he's like, You disgust me that you would fight. <laughs> Go away and it's like, Wait a minute, maybe you this, made this fight you asked Maybe asshole. there's a reason
3: that he's a hermit. <laughs> yeah.
4: He's, he's a maybe all his, his friends
3: locker. hate him now.
2: <laughs> just like a just just like, just like a married woman. You're, you know. Well, you should have <laughs> known what the right answer was. The answer right, was exactly. you weren't supposed to fight. Well, what the
4: hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you mind if I do that? You go right ahead. And then you go and you do it, and then you're in the shit. Yep, exactly. I know oh,
2: exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I learned that lesson as a young kid. Never do what you want to do because it never leads to good things. <laughs> but that's, but that's a story for another day. Page twenty
4: nine. That car in the second panel is in great
2: shape for being a couple yeah. thousand years old. What is that like a Lincoln there? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. Look it looks at like it, look, how you'd, man, how have, them tires last. Look at those white yeah, walls no. there. Whew, man, all
4: you got to do is bang that front tire back into shape and it looks like you could just drive yourself right out of the forbidden zone.
2: Yeah, cuz they're definitely not going to hop in that helicopter that's three that's the next that's two panels over with all the bent uh Right. Of course, then again, well, here's,
4: here's the weird thing. Okay. So the, the, the the humans can still talk, they're still wearing clothes they are clearly intelligent. So it's, it's not as far along in the timeline as, you know, Taylor era. But then again, Mordecai refers to this as the ancient city. So where are we in the timeline here?
2: Well, me a bone. Well, it's all it's all relative. I mean, we refer to Paul as the ancient one. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so about fifty years is what you're saying.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, no. You know, that... I'm deleting that off this. I'm just going <laughs>
4: to. Oh it right no, now.
2: you're not. Oh no, you're not. <laughs>
3: Boy, it brought the room to a crashing halt.
2: <laughs> we were scolded. We didn't know what to say. Oh, Paul, what mad. did you
3: say about me?
2: What I'm like Mordecai. Do? I'm
3: going to send you two off to your deaths.
2: <laughs> go get killed by the mutants, you scum.
3: Yeah, I want the to two of you in the Forbidden Zone right now. Right
2: oh, now. I'll... Oh, come on, Dad. I don't want to go <laughs> to the Forbidden Zone. Stinks there. <laughs> Smells like dead animals.
4: <laughs>
2: did you catch the ape fro on
4: page 35, by the way?
3: Yes, I did. Ape fro? <laughs> oh, God.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Which uh, which movie is being adapted? In the oh, it's still uh, it's still the first movie in this. Oh, that's right. I think I said that before. Is this the end of the first
2: movie? Uh, Let's see. Goes to. Right into the forbidden well, zone. No,
3: no, the next one is the last one because it ends with.
2: Next oh, issue. the doll. Yeah.
4: What's the matter, Zayas? Monkey got your tongue? (laughs)
3: That's what he says. Next issue we'll have.
2: Beware the beast man. And lest he breed in great numbers. Shun him. Drive him back into the jungles. You could buy monster masks for everyone here.
3: For every occasion.
2: Oh hey, Paul, there's a thing here that says when I plan to retire before fifty. This is the business that made a oh sorry, never mind. I just Is, is, is that Arnold? <laughs> no. It's a true story by John B. Heike. Man, this is a long, drawn-out ad. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs>
4: <laughs> that ad I, for the next issue... I just issue, listed that this week, too, by the way. <laughs> what was that? The, the artwork for next... Where it says next issue. And it shows the artwork. It's signed by Craig. Would that be P. Craig Russell, you think? I wonder who that is, but... It looks really good, except that chimpanzee, I think that's supposed to be Alexander. He looks like the Martian leader from Mars Attacks. He does have a
3: little bit of a big head there.
4: Yeah, he's got a
3: serious, like, bulbous head problem there. That's what, mm. I, what I like to call
2: Cabeza Grande. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to hear the Arnold on uh streets of San Francisco uh, from, the other, uh, from the New Mutants X-Men week. Yes. <laughs> tell me that's not stop laughing at me come on you told me to do you it told me to do
3: it <laughs>
2: stop laughing
1: <laughs>
3: ah!
2: <laughs> and i'm at work and i gotta keep it together you know because i'm i'm well i'm working construction so but there's just a guy some random guy on a ladder just laughing out you know at the top of a ladder just with his head down giggling <laughs>
4: Yeah, that's not suspicious. That won't get you no.
3: reported.
2: No. Drug test Robinson. Quick.
3: <laughs> I have to thank uh, Mr. Rifen for setting me on uh, on the journey to that episode of Streets
2: of San Francisco. Yeah, man. How about getting off my... <laughs> about my synopsis, you... <laughs> well, that's Rifen. <laughs> Rifen. It's all Rifen. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Perfect. Send your, Send your criticism to Dinner for Geeks. What, so I can kill that that podcast too after I send a letter to half hour wasted and they went a high I ate it? Great. All right. Did you give this a, a,
3: a letter grade? Did I? That's what I'm
4: asking. Uh no, okay. I didn't know who you were talking to. Um let's see. I it's not gonna, be, to it's, Bill. gonna be, it's gonna be hard for me to uh to be at all uh
2: objective on, on this, but uh
4: which is great, right up to where
2: we thought the story should have ended. <laughs> <And don't laughs> grade the last five pages.
4: The cover, um, I'm not that crazy about the cover. I mean, I like it because I really like Bob Larkin, but it's not one of my favorite Larkin covers. So the cover, I would say, eh, I don't know, like a, I don't know, b minus, I guess. Um, it, it's okay. It's just, it, it, you know, it's perfectly fine. It just doesn't thrill me. But the story grading the story um the 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 written part of the story it's well written uh, it's really enjoyable the the, th- the only thing that really brings the story down for me is mordecai he's he's mercurial i mean if 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 the author had just who the hell wrote this is Mench? it mensch it was mensch if mensch had just explained in the story that mordecai was just bug shit crazy all right then i I, i'd give it a total pass okay he's nuts but he just says that he's like a wizened hermit he's supposed to be like the obi-wan living in a cave type of thing and no it doesn't work his his motivations keep flip-flopping he doesn't want them to fight he wants them to fight they fight because he wants them to fight and then he's pissed off at them so it's like what what is your deal dude maybe he was laughing at them Maybe, Watch, I'm gonna make I, maybe, him fight yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's just messing with him. Maybe he's yeah. What a prick! But that's that's really the only quibble I have with the story. The rest of it, I really like. I came to care for both of these characters. I, I liked them both, uh, Jovan and Solomon, and I liked watching their their friendship come together. You know, because you kind of know or at least you strongly suspect where it's headed the moment that they propose a truce and, you know, we've got to work together for survival, you kind of figure, well, hopefully they'll, you know, they'll learn a little bit about each other and get over their bullshit and become friends, which they
3: do, but which it almost was fun to makes it to sound watch. like a Fat Albert episode.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed it, but also watching, it's not just a simple matter of, you know, you help me, I'll help you, we'll get out of this. I mean, you actually have to watch them struggle to survive. They they have to hunt for food. They get attacked by a giant freak monster. They almost fall off a cliff. I mean, there's all this stuff they go through. So you, you really get to see them bond as both a team and, and again, as friends. And I, I like that. I really enjoy that. And then, of course when it's all done, you know, it's all said and done. It's almost like they fight out of a sense of obligation. They don't, it's almost like they don't really want to fight anymore, but they have to. So they do. And I like that. Um, it, it's really Mordecai that, that's the weird angle of it. And, uh, I love the ending. I I love that just as they acknowledge the fact that, you know what? We're over this. We're not going to fight anymore. You're my friend. That's the moment they're slain. And it's just, it's powerful stuff. I I really enjoy this story. So I'd give the story, I'd give it a solid, uh, I'd say uh, an an A. I was going to say A minus, but I'll I'll give it an A as opposed to an A plus. Because the only thing that brings it down a notch for me is, uh, is Mordecai. I just don't really care for him. I wish they had found something because I think you could kind of do without him. I'm not sure Mordecai is really important in the story. They could have just simply found the cave, lived in the cave till they healed up. Once they realized they were healed up, suddenly there's a, a squaring off where they realize, hey, he's healed. I'm healed. What are we going to do now? Well, I guess we got to fight and they fight. And they beat the hell out of each other. And then once they're, they're both exhausted, they realize this is getting us nowhere. I don't want to fight you anymore. They leave together and they wind up in San Francisco where they see all this shit. And and the same results happen. So honestly, Mordecai, do you even need him in there? I, I don't think mm. you do. Um, the arts. I love it. I really do. And uh, it's so strange to me to see Jim Mooney, who is an artist that I will probably forever identify Jim Mooney with Supergirl and those just silly ass Silver Age Supergirl stories that I read. I usually skip them, to be honest with you. They were the backup features in a lot of Superman titles. Mm hmm. When I, whenever I see Jim Mooney, that's to, to this day, that's what I think of is those silly uh, Silver Age Supergirl stories, and you see him here where he's drawing this like raw, gritty world, and I mean there are literally like six pages of just freaking brutality, man. This war between the men and the apes is brutal. I mean, there's, you've got people being stabbed and shot and. You know, run through the face and axed to death, and you know, there's all this blood and gore. And by the time it's all over, I mean the battlefield scenes of all the bodies is just—it's intense. I mean, for a comic of this period, it's—it's it's pretty adult stuff. Yeah, you and got horses. See that, you got
2: a horse with an arrow in its neck. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome.
4: And you know, for for this not only to be the era that it is, but it's Jim Mooney just cracks me up. But it really. Works. I really enjoy this art a lot, and uh, my personal favorite shot of the whole thing, other than the giant razorback, is the first shot that you have on page seventeen of Jovan strapped to the top of Solomon. I love oh, that picture. Awesome. I just love that picture. Yeah. Of them, uh, you know, strapped to each other, so that Jovan is his arms
3: and Solomon is his legs. I just, I think that's great. That just makes I, me think of. Uh... Was it the Incredible Two-Headed Man or whatever?
1: Right, uh, <laughs> Career bro, rape
3: Land. Yeah, right. That's 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 what I picture. And and when they did it on The Simpsons, with uh, Mr. Burns and Homer,
4: it's cool though. I really like Solomon Ape.
2: Hate carrying Joe man.
4: <laughs> the art, I would, uh, I would give the art a solid. Uh, I'd give it a solid A as well. I really enjoy the art. The only thing that uh, that brings it down is that tacked-on sequence at the end. I'm gonna have to see if I can find something more on that at some point and see if maybe that's been explored anywhere else, where somebody else may have uh, written or talked about this. Because, yeah, the more I look at that, the more I think you guys are right. I think that that actually is like a slapdash. Like, hey, why don't you why don't you add four more pages to this? just to tidy it all up because yeah. that sure
2: is what it feels like well I'm gonna give the art a, um, a, a good grade too because again like I said before I'm finding a um, black and white has never been my thing but it's 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 uh, it's almost like there's more detail and maybe mm-hmm. because because they maybe the colors just Take something away from it, it's just I'm not quite quite sure what it is I haven't put put my finger on it yet.
4: I you almost think maybe the, the
2: colors distract
4: sometimes not so maybe. much to take away is just distract your eye sometimes
2: yeah, maybe because you're just focused more on the on yeah uh, maybe you take in the whole page at once instead of being drawn to a color or something more distinctive because it's all the same, but yet you maybe you can soak it in more and that's just a that I'm just spitballing here. But I thought this story, originally reading it, that it was going to go the way of, like, uh, what is it, the scorpion and the toad? Right. That's where I thought it was going to go, and then when it didn't, I was like, oh, okay, so they weren't going to do that cliché to where one betrays, you know, you know, oh, it's in my nature, so, you know, I mean, why did you betray me? But in the end, they get betrayed not by each other, but by their other prospective mutated races. It's interesting that you thought that because Jovan has the same thought
4: because his first thing that he does after being strapped to Solomon is right. he his realizes knife, like he's got
2: Yeah,
4: because yeah. Solomon's completely at his mercy because Solomon not only don't his arms work, but now his arms that don't work are, are strapped to his sides as well. So even if they did work, he probably wouldn't have time and be able to get the leverage to free himself before Jovan slits his throat. And Jovan thinks about it. He's he's thinking that hey, I got this guy right where I could take him out. But then he realizes, well, what what's that going to do me? You know, if I if I kill yeah. him, then I'm strapped to a dead gorilla. What the <laughs> hell am I going to do then? So he doesn't he doesn't kill him.
2: I think that's cool.
4: Yeah, I, I'm. Um,
2: sorry. Why are you sorry? Uh, I
4: I feel like I interrupted. Bill's, no 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 uh,
2: no 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 no. I mean that's that's pretty much all I had. I'm I'm giving the story. I agree with you that
3: Mordecai kind of is superfluous as it works out. Uh, so I'm giving the story an A minus, and I'm giving the artwork a B. And I'm what I'm doing is basically dropping it a, a grade because of those last few pages. I see. Because I have to grade it on a whole. No, I think that's fair. So I'm I'm basically giving the overall story a B plus.
4: I'm glad you guys like this. I was a little bit nervous. I'm always a little bit nervous when I bring something like you know that, that really is a sentimental favorite of mine that, that I know is a little cheesy. I'm always worried that somebody's going to be like, you know, this was really kind of... Why, why do you like this? This well, one sucked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one last thought on this, I swear. Page 19. Look at that second panel. Does that look like Jovan has eaten a Hostess fruit pie? <laughs>
3: Yeah, it does. Maybe the links were there. <laughs> <laughs> the Dinglelings stop by and hook, give him the hook up.
4: That's awesome. They were the mutants. Solomon actually looks like the uh, ultra humanite in that panel next to it, right there, too.
3: <laughs> yeah, he does. I guess he's a. What, what are they? What is it? Silverback?
2: Uh, pff, I. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's 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 the bigger the bigger gorilla.
4: I All do right. love it, though. Not
2: that I'm a gorilla expert. I just saw that uh, movie with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the Misty Gorillas.
4: The yes. The Misty Gorillas.
2: Play Misty for me with a gorilla. Clint <laughs> uh, Eastwood Gorilla. We ready to go on to book number three? <laughs> play Misty for
3: Zero. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't save that for the end, so I could go out
2: on it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so damn ugly. Oh. uh. I have our third book, and unlike you guys, I went with a adaptation from the last movie. Well, excuse me, not the last movie, the next to last movie, and I did an adaptation of the last chapter of that movie. And the uh, the book that I have is, of course, Marvel, and this is issue twenty one. It was in June nineteen seventy six. Cover price, which oddly enough went down a quarter.
1: Mm-hmm. Did the
2: page did the page count drop? It didn't seem to really change. I I'm not sure about the
4: page count. My understanding was that the book was kind of struggling. Oh,
2: yeah, because if you worse, look at the, the end. Yeah.
4: Yeah. If you look at the uh, both the story and the artwork in the first story in this book you, you can see it. You can see where it's it's taken a step. This was a really silly story, this one here. It had something to do with, like, Camelot and Planet oh, of the Oh, yeah, East. I read well, this it
2: one and what the hell am I? This yeah. is a silly place. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, on the cover, we have um, wow. Earl Norum. wow. wow. And we have uh, a rather enraged-looking gorilla holds a shotgun in one hand and a buxom blonde in the other saying, Hail to the king, baby. And uh, in the background, we have a a bunch of apes are uh, burning, pillaging. They're also pulling men from cars and causing mass hysteria. Apes and humans living together (laughs) as the city burns behind them. Uh, And the story is actually, uh, the writer was Doug Mensch, artist is Alfred P. Alcala. And it is uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, Part 6, Hail Caesar, Hail to the King. But before I go into that, I want to do a quick backstory as to how it got here. And no, this will not be long and drawn out. Scott Rifen. In the future of 1991. So that would be in the past now. But anyway, the (laughs) Apes first replaced dogs and cats as pets after that bastard Neil Armstrong brought a plague back from the moon. Quickly, the apes served not only as pets, but as slaves. One ape under the tutelage of future tyrant Khan, Noonien Singh, I mean Armando, hides his intellect from the general public. <laughs> he is Caesar, child of the intelligent apes from the far-flung future. Caesar is believed to be dead, and he must go on letting the world think that he is dead while trying to find a way to control the raging... No, wait, no, wait, no, wait, sorry, wrong, wrong, wrong book. Sorry, he's hiding because his mother, Zira, got drunk and spilled the beans about experimenting on humans, which led to hers and Cornelius' death in the previous movie. Under the care of Armando, Caesar hides his intellect, and until Armando is suspected of harboring the child because, well, Caesar couldn't keep his yap shut either, while another ape was being punished. Armando takes his own life rather than give up Caesar because he knows the n I mean the authenticator chair, will break him. Caesar gains a position as a slave ape to the assistant of Governor Breck, a whole extraordinaire. The assistant MacDonald, old McDonald had an ape, soon figures out who Caesar is and (laughs) helps him escape the death sentence put upon him by Breck. He is able to slip away and lead the army of apes he had been forming in the shadows. And that is where we pick up the story. Nightfall and Caesar and his apes now start to roam the city, setting fires and are in open rebellion against their human masters. Deep within his bunker, Governor Breck wants security and police mobilized and some good shampoo because he's a Breck girl. Tear gas and darts? Ask an advisor. No, shoot every ape on sight. Shoot to kill. Caesar, gath- Caesar gathers his lieutenants in the basement of a building, hand- handing out melee weapons and cans of gas to set his final plan in motion. A TV news anchor from the Expeditional Exploratory News Network, however you want to say it, copyright Michael Bailey, cautions the citizens to remain indoors as a small group of apes have gone rogue. He turns pale, though as the next report, he reads, has confirmed that the uprising is being led by an ape with the power of speech and is believed to be the child of the intelligent future apes, a threat to the future of the entire human race. Watching in the bunker, Breck is outraged by this and says that Caesar was killed. Right, McDonald? (laughs) Caesar now moves through the city streets with his followers. In one instance, he was almost killed by a sniper, but either through luck or instinct, he lived. The shot, though, acts as a catalyst and acts as a signal to the other groups of apes around the city to begin the uprising in mass. The rage of the apes is unleashed upon the city of men. Deep in the safety of the bunker, Breck hears reports of the fires and damage being caused by the apes to the city. He wants to know why isn't he hearing gunfire in the streets. Meanwhile, in those same streets, one of the police captains tries to reason with the apes as they approach. He speaks the word no, which in the past was a word of pain and obedience for the apes, telling them to go home as well. He thinks that their training conditioning will take hold, but he is sadly mistaken as it instead is a rally cry to action action that caesar ignites with the word now torches fly into the guards and apes spring from behind them as well as they are overrun by their surly by the surly simians the guards retreat and caesar pushes forward meeting up with the gorillas whom have captured guns now he is ready to move onto the bunker inside breck is confident he is safe while outside caesar disables the cameras blinding the humans to their plight. the apes regain the apes gain entry and overpower the humans inside Breck now faces his nightmare-given life. Caesar asks him why did he make the apes into slaves from pets. Breck sees the apes as the beast that still lies lies in men, and that that beast needed to be controlled and chained. They hate the apes because they are the dark side of themselves. In anger, Caesar orders the death of Breck, but is given pause by MacDonald as he pleads for humanity from Caesar, to which the ape points out that he is not human. The two debate back and forth the finer points of power and whether or not Caesar can succeed until finally Caesar drives home his point that humanity will destroy itself and Caesar and his kind will wait. And when the time is right, they shall come forth and build their own cities and there will be no place for humans. And on that day, the apes shall rule the world and that day humans is upon you now. The end. I just wanna say I love the cover. And I love the art, except for a few instances in, in the story. Um, I've always enjoyed this movie itself, and per, particularly this part of the movie, right towards the end. I mean, yeah, it's nice in the early parts with uh, Ricardo Montalbán. But for some reason, especially the speech at the end, has always stuck with me. And um, just the whole build-up and and how, you know, this is where it's all going to kick off to, you know, in the cyclic nature of of the whole Planet of the Apes storyline. You know, how it it just, it's the, what was it, snake that eats its own tail? the uh, And um, now there's a couple things in the art that kind of, uh, I don't know what they're doing on page like 48 um did mcdonald get harry osborne's hair or <laughs> or you know what the heck is he wearing cornrows what 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 happened because earlier looks in the book he like ran afoul of a waffle iron or something. oh <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck but aside from that there's really you know well on page 49
3: on the uh, all the way in the right top panel what's chevy chase doing there <laughs> <laughs>
4: that is totally Chevy Chase about to be brained in the head with the butt of a
2: rifle too I'm Governor Brick, and you're not <laughs> I would have thought that well I mean and it was odd that they didn't really go for photorealism on Cornelius because he really doesn't look like Roddy McDowell anywhere in here at least mm-hmm. not to me No. which didn't take me out of the story because even when I read the lines, they're still in Roddy McDowell's voice, for me. Just from seeing the movies, especially the end theme. I mean theme. I mean speech. So, um, page thirty-two, with the close-up of the um, the TV reporter. I know we've talked in the past about you know you don't some of us don't really like a lot of cross-hatching and etching, but I think that really conveys the, the the look of terror on the guy's face.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, that just... I mean, even though his face is dark, it looks like he's gone pale, if that makes any sense. Kind of. Uh, kind of, yeah, in a roundabout way. Kind of in a nonsensical way. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. So, um... For me, I mean, I would say I would give the art, um, except for some of the choices in the hairstyles. Uh, I would give the art a B plus, maybe close close to an A minus. The story, coming from one of the movies, I think is good, and I think they convey it pretty good here. I know it's a little different because they don't have the, because in the movie he's stopped by the female ape. I was here, wondering if you were going to mention that.
4: Yeah. Lisa.
2: Yeah, Lisa. He is not stopped by Lisa here. N- and n- no. Yeah, and you know there was two ver- two. Well, I'm sure you guys. Well, Scott probably knows because he has the Blu-rays that there's two. There was two versions to that ending.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and, that that, that speech know. is is added on later.
2: Right. Yeah. And what the
3: one it was was they, the
4: the studio got they they got cold feet essentially they there was a screening of the movie and the studio basically asked the the director to go back and you know can you can you do something here and they they had him alter it because the movie ends incredibly darkly oh yeah there's there's really only like one other scene right after that because it's funny where the comic stops the the comic stops right the literally the last panel is where Caesar says, is upon you now, which is a great speech by uh, by McDowell in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That's where this ends, is with that. In the movie, I mean, it's basically over at that point. But there's a little bit more. And then the movie, you know, the credits roll. But what happened with the theatrically released version is... He he delivers this very impassioned speech. This is the rise of the Planet of the Apes. You know everything's going down. Humanity's done at this point. Mm-hmm. And then the the ape the female ape speaks up and like you she goes n- n- no And then Caesar gets a stupid look on his face and there's a whole nother speech that's delivered which is completely conciliatory and oh sorry I didn't really mean it yeah.
3: Now and we it, who are yeah. not human can afford to be humane.
4: Yeah. humane.
2: It's yeah.
3: so bad. It really is
4: because, for one, it's not a well-written speech. For two, it's clearly canned. It almost sounds like it's delivered over the phone. It's it, The delivery is really strange when you hear it. It's, it's very tinny sounding, and, and you can obviously tell it's not... Recorded at the same time as the speech he had just finished giving. And thirdly, because they didn't have any money to reshoot the scene.
2: They ran when he
4: delivers the speech. They just zero in on his eyes. And you can clearly tell his mouth is not moving while he's Mm -hmm. giving. It's really, really bad. So anybody that's Mm going to watch conquest in preparation for when we do our commentary on it on two true freaks. Please watch the unrated version which is the original version of the movie before the studio made their their edits and changes to the film. It's a much better movie and it ends on a it ends much better because it just ends on a very dark note that no this this is it. They won. Yeah, I guess we really
2: win, do we want to say what the what the last uh, because really they almost show the end like on page where uh, where Chevy chases on page forty nine, right? The next thing that would happen, the ape that's behind him with the gun raised, is pretty much what happens at the end of that that version, and that yeah. they basically pummel him to death with the butts yeah, the, of all, all all the rifles, and that's the end.
4: Yeah, the gorillas make yeah. paste of Breck. I mean, they just. The the only thing that I wish they had done a little bit better in that scene is they clearly not only beat him to death, but they they beat him to where he they beat he him beyond death. Yeah. I mean, he would just be just mush on the ground. Yet there's no blood or gore or yeah. anything on the butts of the rifles, which is a little silly. But yeah, that's yeah, that's how that one ends, as opposed to the edited version, which was the theatrically released version they actually reversed the film. So as the, mm-hmm. the gorillas are raising their butts to smash him to death in the unrated version, in the theatrically released version, they're actually lowering their, their butts back down because of uh, uh, Caesar's half-baked speech. So, <laughs> yeah, it's really... Because the whole movie is about them getting all worked up. And deciding we've had enough, we're going to rebel, we're going to overthrow our masters, and you get to that the very end of the movie where they're in the midst of doing that, and suddenly Caesar's like, "Nah, maybe we shouldn't," <laughs> and everybody just goes along with it, like, "Okay, well we'll listen to you." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no." It, it, it's funny now seeing the unrated because you know watching it in preparation for talking about it is the first time I'd ever seen the original, unaltered, unrated version. And it really helped me enjoy the movie a lot better because now I kind of get what they were going for. I think that's one of the reasons I never held Conquest in high regard is because on on some subconscious level, I realized that they pulled the plug at the very you know, they just they take the the legs right out from under the movie at the end of it by having him Suddenly, go now. Nah, maybe we shouldn't. So, <laughs> yeah, not but, uh, so much.
3: Yeah, no. uh, I gotta differ from you, Bill, on the art. I'm, I'm not happy with the art in this issue. Uh, I think it's incredibly inconsistent throughout. I think some of the faces are just terrible. Uh, I also think it suffers a little bit from uh, the licensed propertyism. Uh, where you know where he's trying, they're trying to. Create scenes from the movie, and they look a little stiff. Uh, I'm, I, I just, I, I, I think it falls short on the art. You gave it a, a B plus.
1: Yeah.
3: I'm gonna go C minus uh, on the art. The story I think is great, and I, I agree with uh, with you, Scott, that uh, I really like the uh, the, the bleaker ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can, you can give your your more upbeat message uh in in the fifth movie you don't have to end this one on an upbeat on an, with an upbeat message and they did kind of uh show a lack of balls in doing that yeah uh so i, I kind of um, like that this book ends on on the you know on the on the on the more bleak
2: ending yeah i i mean this is kind of almost like uh like a happy medium between the two it's like huh. a mashing of uh, almost of the two because you don't have the brutal murder Although in the almost next to on the last page, you do still have a an ape getting ready that looks like he's going to bean Breck in the back of the head in a, in <laughs> a, in another panel, but it's not really shown. It's just you know the threat is there that uh, that the apes are gonna that that they're taking control.
3: Yeah, and just yeah. uh, picture wise, uh, I really really dislike the uh, gorilla on page the the, the the most center panel on page thirty six.
2: I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, that one is where he, he, the guy's lighting
3: the fire. Yeah, he looks like the troll yeah. from Trilogy of Terror.
2: <laughs> the doll. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then and then you follow it up <laughs> with the, with the next picture where it doesn't even look like it's the same gorilla. Right. right. I, I'm 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 very down on this artwork. I see some flashes of of good stuff in it but on a whole I, I i don't like it the uh the first the the splash page it looks like the apes are uh dancing at a disco <laughs> <laughs> which page is this the splash page
4: 29 the, the opener the opener splash let me yeah. i'm going back to it right now <laughs> it's a rave <laughs> and, and the on. the
3: one the, the rightmost one even looks like he's got john travolta's white suit on
4: <laughs> Well, the
3: leftmost excuse me that's awesome. I I I think the artwork is, is very, very inconsistent in this book and almost has a rushed look to me. So I'm
2: I'm I'm down on it. You just don't like the Norman Osborne hair. Oh, I think that's terrible.
4: <laughs> it's like he has a bath mat on his head is what it yeah. looks like. It it's yeah. it's, it's like it's, the no no the no slip surface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you know, one of those, one of those tub mats. Um, I don't know. This is a really tough one for me because, again, I, I didn't realize until doing my read through of the magazine that they actually got this far in the adaptations. I, I had no idea that they ever did uh, escape conquest or battle. And reading them this way in these serialized adaptations really gave me a better appreciation for all three of them, especially Conquest and Battle, which were two. I, I Those are the two movies that I've largely just kind of disregarded over the years. I never cared for either one of them. I still don't really care for for Battle, but Conquest stepped up a notch after having read this And a lot of it has to do with the with the darker ending. They excise the part with the female uh, ape saying no and all that, which I really hate in that uh, (laughs) theatrical. It just I really hate that. Even if they didn't have Caesar's conciliatory speech, I would still hate her speaking. And uh, I'm going to get into all the reasons for that when we actually do our our commentary of the movie. So I want to save all that. Concilatory um,
2: speech. Make it sound like he's accepting an Oscar. I like to thank <laughs> the Academy.
4: <laughs> but uh, I, I do like the story. It's hard to grade the story though because you know it's an adaptation. But as adaptations go it's pretty good. It does add a little bit. There's extra dialogue from the movie and things like that. The art is a really hard for me a really hard one for me to grade because here's the weird thing. I don't like Alfredo Alcala. I, I Traditionally, I haven't liked him because when I discovered him, he, he's got almost like Jack Kirby syndrome to me is where by the time I discovered him, he was really on the wane. So I was seeing him in like his latter days of doing like Swamp Thing and stuff where he just wasn't bringing his A game. And I never liked the really heavy inks. And it almost has like a... Like a slimy feel to the art, you know, it just has this weird, because it's horror. I mean, he was a horror artist. Mm-hmm. But somehow, that art style, with the very heavy lines, everything super dark, a lot of cross hatching, that kind of slimy feel to everything, the the obvious like EC horror influence in the art, Actually, for this type of story and how dark Conquest is and especially how dark it ends, actually kind of lends into the mood. So it's not my preferred style of art. I don't really like his art style. Yet, strangely, it does sort of fit for this type of story. So it's hard for me to be too harsh with it. I guess I would give it a, uh, I think I'd give it like a middle-of-the-road C. C. do don't hate it. I'm not a fan. So, you know, but it, it works. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, But some of the art decisions that he made are, yeah, they are really strange. Because a lot of times the apes really don't look like apes. The body language is okay, but just the face there's something he just didn't quite capture in the faces. There's a second panel of page forty six. Whatever the hell kind of ape that is that's slapping Breck looks like like a pissed off cowardly lion or something. It does <laughs> not look like an ape to me at all. And if that's <laughs> supposed to be Cornelius, I, I you know who is he being played by? Cause that doesn't look like a lot of the pages don't look like grenades He doesn't look like a chimpanzee Caesar or see, I'm sorry, Caesar. Yeah. He, he just, he doesn't look like a chimp to me. Um, the, a lot of the, the, the apes basically all blend together. So I can't tell what's a gorilla, what's a chimp. I don't even know if there's any, uh, supposed to be any orangutans in here. Cause I don't really,
3: you're a, you're a freaking apist.
2: The only, well, the
3: only way he seems to distinguish <laughs> them is the uh, the gorillas occasionally have pointy teeth, right? Separate. I mean, otherwise it do, he doesn't really seem to separate them at all.
4: There's a ape. It's the sixth panel on page 44. It looks like he's going. Where's my dentures? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like I say, it, it's. I, I guess the the kindest thing I could say about it is it's functional. I mean, it works, it, it, tells a, it tells a sequential story, it's not horrible, I'm just, I'm not partial to this particular uh, art style, but there, there's something, uh, there's something about it, I, I actually see where, I wonder if uh, the guy that, who the hell drew the anatomy lesson story as Swamp Thing, was that Tottlebin? That drew that whoever whichever Swamp Thing artist was that did that I wonder if they were influenced by Alcala because I, I see that a very uh, strong similarity in the art styles there and of course Alcala would eventually work on Swamp Thing so I don't know but I, I I like the story I like the story a heck of a lot more than I like the art and I actually like this comic adaptation more than I like the movie because when I, when I read When I read it, I can give the characters the voices I want them to have delivered the way I would like them to deliver them. So it you know, you can go as you know, as cheesy or non cheesy as you want to go, but watching the movie again recently, man, Breck sucks. I mean, he's not that great of a character anyway, and his dialogue is often like, you know, badly written. Well, he's a little two-dimensional. So the overplayed in that oh, movie that yeah. he becomes a friggin' cartoon character. He's he's just ridiculous, really, really ridiculous. And it's funny because the actor is interviewed on the Blu-ray. There's all these special features and interviews and stuff. And he's interviewed. He's still around apparently, and it's- interviewed. And he seems like he's like you know perfectly uh, proud of the role and you know talks it up. And well, this is what I was going for and everything. And I'm like. I guess I can see that totally doesn't work. You know, he was going for like a like a Nazi like like basically he says something like he had studied like Hitler propaganda films or some shit like that, and so he was trying to do like a German style delivery of like what what uh, um, Hitler would have been doing when he was delivering all of his speeches, trying to you know win the you know, win the respect or the love of the people or whatever. And I, I just, I see what he's saying, but I don't see it in his performance. His performance just comes <laughs> off as like the worst form of scenery chewing you've ever seen. He's just a completely cardboard villain.
3: Well, have you ever seen actual footage of Hitler? You know? Yeah. He, he was also quite the scenery chewer.
4: Oh yeah. But I mean, at the same rate, I watched that stuff with Hitler and He's he's impassioned. He I, I don't know. There's there there is clearly I, I'm not sure how to describe it without sounding like somehow like I'm enamored of Hitler or something. <laughs> it's just there's there's something in the in his delivery that. I buy it, as opposed to Breck, who's just, he, he, he comes across as just ridiculous.
3: Well, I, you know what, I, I didn't see the interview you're talking about, but I think he was written as a very two-dimensional character. He doesn't have any depth at all to him. And, That's true. And, and the fact that this guy at least attempted to give it a nuanced performance, I think says something for him. Because, like I said, he, he wasn't written as a, uh, as a character with any kind of depth at all right uh, but and and that's coming from somebody who's a fan of the movie i I, I like all the movies. I don't care, uh, like I said, with the exception of Tim Burton's debacle uh, but but uh, you know, like I said, I'll give the guy credit for at least trying right and uh I just I, I, you know what I'm going to have to revisit the movie actually. It's been a little little while since I watched it, and i'm I'm starting to think of uh McDonald's performance as being a little two-dimensional also. Donald? Yeah, I mean that—that's
4: the thing with the movie is that other than, uh, I keep wanting to call him Cornelius. Other than Caesar, played by McDowell, which I—I I just think Mar- Roddy McDowell to this day I think he's an underrated actor. I, I think uh, he was just a phenomenal actor and always really brought his A game in these movies, even in the ones that you know, like like Battle. Even in battle, I thought he brought his A game to that movie, and it's clearly not a, a great movie. But he was—he's good in it.
3: From my the friend prob- Flicka on up, the guy was gold.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I will completely agree with that. And the problem with Conquest is that he's really the only solid actor in the whole movie. Now, you have got Ricardo Montalban in there. Even Ricardo Montalban to me anyway feels like he's just kind of he's just kind of showing up for a paycheck in that one. I don't get that sense from him in escape but in conquest I clearly do. It's it's he gives a half-hearted effort. But I mean he's not in the movie for much anyway. No. And you know they they quickly dispatch him which leaves you really with you know a bunch of of apes and bad masks and brent and mcdonald brent is completely i mean just not reined in at all as a character so he's just left to just deliver these ridiculously over-the-top speeches and chew the scenery and then mcdonald i I think the guy was trying but he's he's very strangely played in that movie i can't quite put my finger on it or, or verbalize it you know The way i think of it but he's just uh i don't know it's like he's going for being uh like the quiet calming influence or something but it just comes off as like he's just kind of uh out of it for a lot of the movie i don't know it's it's really strange it's it's a very odd performance and i didn't realize until recently that uh that that's the same character that's in battle who plays uh, Caesar's, like, confidant. McDonald. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: I, I I never realized that. I'm not, actually, I'm not 100% sure about that. I think there might be something where he's supposed to be, like, the brother of the original character or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. I'm not 100% sure that he's supposed to be the same guy.
4: Oh, all right. I, I I thought he was, cuz
3: I thought I thought Caesar called him McDonald. You no, know, he is McDonald, but I'm not oh, sure okay. he's the same McDonald. Like I said, I think he might be I think I seem to remember reading something where he's supposed to be like the brother of the other character.
4: Huh. That
3: could be. I I had never heard that before, but that could very well be. Unless of course I'm wrong, in which case I'm I'm um, you know, and <laughs> I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. That could be. I don't know. I, ha- I had
4: never heard that before. I'm going to have to see if I could look that up somewhere to see if... Uh... You never. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if, if you do find something on it, let me know, because I'm, I'm curious if, if I just have a uh, malfunctioning memory on that one or if, if, if my memory actually has some uh, merit to it.
4: Now, when you guys do that one for the commentary, are, are you
3: doing the extended cut? Uh, I honestly, we haven't discussed yet, uh, what we're going to do on it. So I do not know.
4: I, I have yet to watch that. I've, you know, I've seen the original theatrical one, the one that's been, you know, commercially available all these years. I've seen that one t- two, maybe three times. I have yet to watch the extended, but I'm anxious to watch it. Cause I guess there's a ton of extra stuff in it that, that kind of fleshes the story out a little bit better and everything. So Yeah, I mean, I I have the Blu-ray, but
3: I haven't watched the extended cut yet either. Uh, And I don't know what Andy has, so we'll have to figure out to make sure we're on the same page with it. Right. So he and I will talk. (laughs) Sadly,
4: not much of this stuff has been reprinted. What what mostly has been reprinted is what Marvel reprinted themselves with uh, Adventures on the Planet of the Apes. And then, of course, like I mentioned before... Um, At least portions of Terror on the Planet of the Apes were reprinted by uh, Adventure Comics. But to the best of my knowledge, the rest of these adaptations, I don't believe, uh, have ever been reprinted anywhere. And I still maintain that, you know, despite the stories that that you and I discussed, Paul, I still think the strength of these magazines and and the reason to seek them out and want to own them are the adaptations. I think the adaptations are, are fantastic uh, that's not to say there's not some great original material in here too, because I like Doug Mensch a lot as a writer, and he did write some really good and interesting stories in the early issues. It's just unfortunately it it kind of peters out and and goes right off the rails fairly early into the run of the book. Um. Um, to where by the time it got to the very end and they were doing all that weird shit like out at sea and weird sea monsters and all, I was kind of I was kind of tuned out at that point. I'm like, ah, I don't know about this because the stories were bizarre and the art was just really some trippy shit. But I en- I enjoyed the uh, the adaptations quite a bit and feel like I actually learned something from the adaptations of four and five. Plus there was a, uh, I think it's all in one issue if I'm not mistaken, but there was a two part, um, bridging story between conquest and battle that I kind of forgot about. But looking back through the issues as we were talking, I found it in there again. I'm not sure what issue that was, but, uh, I'm gonna have to go back and read that at some point too, because I'd I'd completely forgotten about that. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't. I, I'm gonna have to seek that out too. Uh, I I I agree with you that the uh, the adaptations are certainly worth uh, looking for, especially since there is some some plot some plot in it, some dialogue in it, some storylines in it that aren't in the movies. So it just, you know, it, it can enrich your movie experience or your story right. experience. Uh, but I, I also like a lot of the, uh, the original material, not all of it. Some of it's crap, but uh, on a whole, I, li- I like a lot of it.
4: And it's actually, it's issue 22. And it's, what's funny is I don't recognize this writer, or excuse me, this artist's name. It's Rico Raval. But the opening splash in number 22, damned if it doesn't look like uh, Garcia Lopez to me.
2: I praise mean, be a his lot. Yeah. Praise, praise be his name.
4: It is some nice stuff. But yeah, that whole, that entire issue is a uh, two-part bridging sequence for the next movie for, for Battle. So it's set between Conquest and Battle. I'm going to have to read this again. I know I've read it, but now I can't remember what the hell it was about. Well, what's our next... Uh What are we hitting next, Adventure Comics? Adventure Comics, yes. The next time around, we're going to discuss Adventure Comics. And uh, I think we have a really good mix of issues because uh, the one that I'm going to cover, again, uh, actually, strangely enough, uh, ties into Conquest. Uh, It was a story that kind of helped, again, flush that story out for me a little bit uh bill's covering an issue from one of the many mini series that uh adventure did which i like because that kind of picks up my slack because all i had time to read in adventure was the series proper and there was an annual but adventure as well as the series which was pretty good in spots they did many minis. They did ape nation and, uh, blood of the apes and Urchak's folly. And th- there were a whole bunch of them. They did. I did not reread any of that stuff just for time concerns, but bill's got me covered on that with what he's going to cover. And, uh, I gotta be honest. I I have completely forgotten what issue you're gonna cover, Paul. <laughs> That's because I don't know which one I'm doing. Oh, yet. <laughs> okay. So you haven't picked it yet. All right. All
3: I'm, right. Gonna, I'm gonna have to jump in there soon. Be- well, certainly before we record next time, and I'll figure out which one I'm doing.
4: Well, I'm gonna be anxious to he- to uh, see what you guys think of the adventure stuff because
3: uh, I think I think what I'm gonna do just uh, is I'll I'll look where your issue is. I'll look where Bill's issue is, and I'll try and pick uh, just another area you know, as far as consecutively when they came out, just so that we're separated and hitting as, as you know, giving a good cross section of the adventure books. So I, I may pick it based on date of release more than, uh, than story content. Cool.
4: Well, if you want any suggestions, give me a holler. Cause I, I just finished, uh, rereading all that stuff recently. It was again, as far as just the series proper and, uh, I, it's it's a bla- I had a blast reading it, but woo, it's a mixed bag of shit, man. Because it starts really <laughs> strong and then goes really wacky. So yeah, that should be fun. Yes, it
3: should. So join us next week when we hit week two of Planet of the Apes month. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: America in the year 1991 apes are sold at auction to become household pets and to work as slaves they wait for a leader and ape with the intelligence to lead them into overthrowing man Where there is fire there is smoke
2: in that smoke from this day forward my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall and that day is
1: upon you now watch the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution a revolt of the apes this will be the end of human civilization conquest of the planet of the apes rated pg
4: Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.2truefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Core of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, And also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.